She's Tori. And he's Nick. And this is I Want to Rewatch. An X-Files podcast. Season 2. Episode 16. Colony. So before we get into the episode proper, I think it's time. We're not going to do this all the time, but I think it's time to maybe do a little housekeeping and there are many ways you can help the podcast one of the best ways is that you go and rate and review the podcast i realize that sounds weird because i know personally my app doesn't let me rate stuff i don't listen on apple and that really seems to be the only place you can rate and review spotify doesn't let you but if you have access to an apple device and want to hop onto apple and rate us even if you don't use it to listen to us that'd be super awesome and i want to thank Lavina Speaks and Moonstruck Q for their reviews on the podcast on Apple. So thank you. Thank you. That's awesome. We appreciate it. It really does help. And if you can't rate and review, it always helps to share this episode or any episode with a friend. If you're like, this one's really good. Or if your friend's like X-Files, doesn't hurt to share it or mention it or tell people about it either. So thank you so much. Yes. And if you share the podcast... I know, Tori, you never listen to first episodes, you say, when you start a new podcast? Pretty much never. I don't. Well, I'm kind of, I used to be an audio geek. And so like a lot of times when you start listening to a podcast, like the first few episodes, they're trying to figure out their sound, what they are, how they're doing. And so unless it's a podcast that has to be chronological, I do tend to pick like newer episodes or like if I'm, it's a rewatch podcast, I'll pick like a favorite episode or an episode I don't like and kind of see how the hosts fall on it to see if I agree with them. But that's just my weird way of listening. You can listen however you want. <laughs> yeah. I'm one of those weirdos who I will go back to the very first episode to listen to the very first episode and usually try to work my way back up while maybe doing some new ones interspersedly so I don't fall behind. If it's something I don't like though, like the first one sounds awful, which a lot of times they do because you're just learning what you're doing. Then I'll usually go and get a more recent one just to make sure. But if you have a favorite episode, you know, feel free to share that one. Be like, this one's really good. <laughs> yeah. Because when we first started, we didn't even do notes. We, I don't know what we were thinking. But... <laughs> we didn't notes. We didn't do like the whole recap. We didn't write down what actually happened in the episode. We just wrote no. our own notes. And then we tried to remember. And that was yeah. not a great system. As we no. have learned, it's not, yeah. our memories are not steel traps, <laughs> unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah, so that's the best way to help the podcast is just to share it. Because more listeners we get, the better we do. And it's kind of one of those snowball things. The more listeners you get, the more people hear about the podcast means the more listeners you get, means the more people hear about the podcast, means the more listeners you get. Boom, 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 boom. Another way you can help is, of course, financially. We've never actually talked about that. Anchor does do support on the podcast. It's always been an option. We've never really done it because it's icky to ask people for money. But on that, we have a little announcement. Do you want to do? Do you want to spill the beans, Tori? <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I know. <laughs> so Nick and I have been working on kind of a side project, and we're going to be starting a premium feed where we watch and discuss things that are kind of x-files adjacent so one of those things happens to be Kolchek the night stalker which was a huge inspiration to chris carter it was a show in the 70s about a reporter who investigates supernatural paranormal stuff and you can definitely see where chris carter got some inspiration for Mulder and for the x-files so that's been really fun so we're gonna have that starting soon yes we're thinking this is probably gonna start in october 
October. We'll have more details, but we're, we're calling it I Want to Rewatch an X-Files Adjacent Podcast. So it's going to have Colcheck the Night Stalker. It's going to have some other stuff from the 70s, some stuff from the 80s. It will eventually be doing Millennium in line with the X-Files. It'll also be doing the Lone Gunman series. And so the premium feed will be where those episodes are in addition to the regular episodes. So the premium feed will have everything. The regular feed here will have the X-Files episodes. We're not going to like hold back episodes or whatever. You're going to get the same X-Files episodes, all the movies, all the episodes Mm -hmm. here, just all the extra X-Files adjacent items will be in the premium feed. Yeah. So we're working on it now, and obviously we'll give you more details as we know more, but just a heads up that that is something that's in the works. Yes, and if you have suggestions for X-Files adjacent items for us to watch or rewatch, you can contact us. Our links are in the show notes. Yep. Yeah, so I think we probably rambled on enough. Let's get to the episode. (laughs) What people are here for. Colony, yay! So in this episode... Mulder has sent the obituaries of three doctors by a mysterious source. The doctors are identical, despite having no familial ties that he can find. And as Scully and Mulder investigate, it seems there are even more identical men and someone is targeting them. They need to find and protect these identical people before they meet the same fate. But then Mulder gets a call from home that might change everything. Ooh. This episode's story was by David Duchovny and Chris Carter. The teleplay was by Chris Carter, and it was directed by Nick Mark. Do you know what the difference is between story and teleplay? Sort of, yeah. What is it? So, well, this is, again, I don't work in TV, but the story is like, this is what happens. This is like, we're going to, you know, maybe do probably not storyboards. I'm guessing that David Duchovny was not like storyboarding stuff out, but I'm sure that they kind of discussed like, okay, this is what's going to happen in this episode. And then the teleplay is the actual script. Okay. Yeah. Because I know in, as we mentioned, we've been working on some other stuff that happens a lot in like story by and teleplay thing or story by and script by. And I've just been lumping it together. Just be like, this episode was written by and just put everybody in there. Like, give it, I know, I think a lot of that too is like financial, like who gets. Yeah. I think it's, kind it's of, union stuff. Cause like yeah. if you're writing the script then you get paid different scale than yeah. if you're just contributing to the story. Like residuals and what have you. So, yeah. yeah. So I was just wanting to, this is the first time that's come up in our podcast of story by and then teleplay by so i just wanted yeah yeah and then nick mark is someone that we have not seen before as far as a director correct yes it doesn't sound familiar so probably not okay so this episode was filmed in vancouver british columbia its original air date was friday february 10th 1995 it had a viewership of 15.9 million in the United States, which is down just under 2 million from previous episodes. So it's like 1.9 million. So again, we're doing that. We talked about it the back end of this season. It's just up and down, up and down, up and down. Yeah. So, so we open with a voiceover from Mulder. And I have a note here in my notes that I don't have to say all of this, but I'm going to. <laughs> Uh, yeah, oh, because it's I there. may have transcribed oh, his entire monologue, and I was like, "You don't have to actually read his entire monologue. This is just what he says." No, but we're we're doing it. We're doing it. A dramatic reading. All right, Fox Mulder. 
So, I have lived with a fragile faith built on the ether of vague memories from an experience that I could neither prove nor explain. When I was 12, my sister was taken from me, taken by a force that I came to believe was extraterrestrial. This belief sustained me, fueling a quest for truths that were as elusive as the memory itself. To believe as passionately as I did was not without sacrifice, but I always accepted the risks. To my career, to my reputation, to my relationships, to life itself. So as he's speaking, we see this light in the sky that eventually turns into a helicopter. And then we see the Navy helicopter and it lands in like this really icy looking place. And like these ambulances, again, like military ambulances and siren vehicles, like, and they drop the door on the helicopter and soldiers run in and they get to the helicopter and they unload someone on a stretcher and put them in the ambulance. And as they're unloading, we hear something about like, name's Mulder, FBI agent, like kind of muffled. So it sounds like they're saying his name is Mulder. He's an FBI agent. Hmm. So then the gurney's pushed into the operating room and nurses and doctors are all around. And again, it looks like a military hospital. And the person on the stretcher has big old puffy eyes. And we don't need to say it's the person. We find out it is Mulder. And they got low temperature. And they lift him up and they put him into a tub to warm him because he's got like severe hypothermia. Then Scully bursts in the room and they're like, yo, you can't come in here. And she's like, I'm an FBI agent. And they're like, we don't care. And then she's like, a man is dying. And they're like, too bad. And then she flashes her badge and they're like, whoa, badge. And they let her go in. And then Mulder's in the tub and he's got monitors on him and he's unconscious. He's got a little thing over his mouth to give him oxygen. And we're back to Mulder's voiceover. What happened to me out on the ice has justified every belief. If I should die now, it will be with a certainty that my faith has been righteous. And if, through death, larger mysteries are revealed, I will have learned the answer to the question that's driven me here, that there is intelligent life in the universe other than ours, that they are here among us, and they have begun to colonize. So Scully runs in, and she's like, I'm a doctor, I'm a doctor. And the other doctor's like, yeah, don't care. We're, you know, we're taking care of this dude. And she's like, no, you have to get him out of that tub. And the doctor's like, if we don't warm him up, he's going to die because he's got hypothermia. And she's like, no, the cold is the only thing that's keeping him alive. And then as they're talking, all his vitals go. And the nurse says, his heart is stopped. And then Scully's like, "Ah," and then it goes to theme song. Yeah. Yeah. It's a very frantic teaser. Lots of running and shouting and lots of cuts. I do think that the teaser itself seems like they ended it too soon. Like they just cut it off. Like Scully doesn't even get like to fully make her like emoting facial expressions. Kind of like she's like, <gasps> and then it just boom, it cuts. Yeah. And it's kind of seemed like they needed like a couple more seconds to bring it. It didn't seem like it was just, it seemed too abrupt. Okay. That may have been what they were trying to go for, but it just seemed, ugh, I didn't like it, but that's just me. Okay. Yeah. Subjective. I can see that. So, yeah. I didn't mind it, but it is, it is supposed to, I think it is supposed to be a little jarring, but they do. It is a little jarring. Yeah. It's, 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 you really notice it when you're watching it. Cause you're used to like, you know, it fades to black or something goes on, right? Like there's like, there's usually like a dramatic pause or a music cue and then it comes in and this was just like, boom, it just stops. So they just lopped it off. Yeah. So then we're on the research Velsa Alta in the Beaufort Sea in the Arctic Circle. And this is two weeks earlier. So we're flashing back. We're going to figure out how Mulder got out onto the ice. 
and there's a man on the deck of the ship and he opens the door and he tells the captain he's got to see this they have like a ufo buzzing them or something and so the two of them join the other men and they're all gathered at the side of the ship watching this light in the sky and the captain says it could be a helicopter but the other guy argues he's like no not the way it flew over us and then the light gets bigger and it like comes at them again and it zooms past and then crashes into the water and the captain's like we're going after it Mm. yeah that's that scene (laughs) they're going after the little (laughs) ufo again it just you know hey nothing is they're not completing because we're going to see what happens later so so then we are at a place called women's care family services and clinic and that's not me saying that wrong it actually is women's care family services and clinic and it is scranton pennsylvania and we see a doctor who is walking around and we are going to find out later because we don't get his name at all on the scene we're going to find out later he is dr landon prince and he heads into the break room to get a cup of coffee and you know some of the people in the break room and the tv news is on and it's reporting that two days ago the crew of an ice cutter thought they'd seen a ufo crash into the sea but then when they got to the site they realized it was actually a russian mig fighter and the pilot somehow miraculously survived the crash and the extreme arctic temperatures and they got him on board and so the new footage shows the sailors pulling the survivor on board with pulleys and ropes and this kind of gets the doctor's attention he's like oh it sounds interesting let's kind of look at the news the man was airlifted to the hospital in alaska and was in stable condition And as he's watching, we actually see the face of the survivor as he gets pulled on ship. And Prince just, like, looks frightened. He looks freaked Mm -hmm. out. So, like, it kind of, like, gets him and he walks out of the break room. And as he's walking out, we hear on the TV that the news reports the man walked out of the hospital and is now missing. So Landon is heading down the hall and he bursts through some double doors and he comes face to face with the man who we just saw on the TV that was pulled from the seat. The man attacks him, grabs him by the throat, and kind of lifts him up against the wall. And it's like, where is he? And Landon's like, I don't know. I don't know. And so then he's thrown to the floor. The attacker holds his head down on the ground. And then with his other hand, he pulls out this little thing that's like a little silver cylinder. And then he pushes a button on it. And this needle pops out. And he jams the needle into the back of Prince's neck. And when he pulls it out, this green, foamy liquid starts bubbling out of the wound. And then the assassin goes over and he grabs all the electrical units and the breaker panels. He just rips one of the panels like off the wall with his bare hands and it starts a fire. And then he walks out of the room, just like striding down the hall as smoke fills it and the fire alarm rings. Very, very, very hard Terminator, Terminator 2 vibes in this scene. Uh Especially like when he's leaving, just like striding down. Especially because like the guy's face is just like, "Mm," he's very determined and just like boom, 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 boom. Like he even has kind of like him. a Schwarzenegger look. Like he does, he is, mm-hmm. he does not look exactly like Schwarzenegger, but he definitely is similar in build yeah. and like his facial structure. So yep. yeah, it is. Very I was going to bring it up at the end, but he actually, this actor actually did have a very small role in the first Terminator movie. Oh, nice. Yeah, I think so, I remember yeah. hearing that. So yeah. So then Scully walks into the X Files office. And Mulder asks where she was, and she mentions that she was actually down the street because apparently there were shots fired in front of the White House um, just the night before. And Mulder quips about the state of the country, if even the president has to worry about drive-by shootings. And, man, he's not going to be impressed with 2021. (laughs) (laughs) Things have gotten worse. And Mulder sits at his computer, and she asks what he's working on. 
And he tells her he got these three obituaries in his email this morning and he pulls up the clippings from the newspaper and he doesn't know who sent them, but they came from someone who knows Mulder. And the first is Dr. Prince in Scranton, Pennsylvania. The second is Dr. Gerhardt in New York City. And the third is Dr. Buchanan in Teaneck, New Jersey. And all of them worked at abortion clinics. And Scully's like, sounds like the work of militant anti-lifers, but like, why send them to you? And Mulder's like, well, it took me all morning to figure that out. Prince was the latest victim. And then he shows Scully photos of all three men and they all look identical. And so Mm -hmm. Scully's like, triplets? And Mulder's like, no, he can't find records that they're related or records of them at all. It's kind of like before they died, they didn't even exist. So Mulder does say that Prince is the latest victim, but if if you actually look at the obits on his screen, the obits say that Prince died on December 28th of 1994 and Buchanan died in January 10th of 1995. So whoever wrote the fake obits kind of messed that up a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. It also completely scrambles the internal timeline of like two weeks earlier because we know this episode is going to continue a little bit. And that doesn't even talk about the external timeline where like Dave Duran checked out the witch hunt book on January 16th of 1995. Then fresh bones happened after that. So basically the X-Files exists in some kind of weird time continuum. I don't know. (laughs) Because everything's happening all at once. Yeah. Because Dr. Prince has killed two weeks. Well, like 12 days before we see Mulder in the ice. And so like only 12 days are supposed to occur between his death, but then like Mulder had to receive these. So even if it's like the day before, then with all the other stuff that's going to happen, it just doesn't. Yeah. So yeah, the timeline of the X-Files is not, (laughs) does not work. Yeah. I'd have to say, so two things. One, um, we've seen this many times, but like the FBI obviously runs Mac OS on their PCs because every time we see screenshots of the computers, it's always the Mac OS windows. So, but in situ here in the episode, the first thing that came to mind for me was that as an FBI agent familiar with the X-Files, I would have immediately thought of the Eves because wherever there are Eves, there are usually Adams. Yeah. It's funny that it's another one of those things where you like, as a viewer, we're going to make those connections, but Mulder and Scully never mention it. And it's, they just don't refer back to old cases that much. Which is just one of those funny things that just happens on TV that always kind of drives me a little nuts. I'm like, <laughs> yeah, because I believe in Eve, didn't she mention that there also were, they did, mm-hmm. obviously, if they're doing, if they're cloning girls, they would be cloning boys. But for some reason, the boys, because boys, they were like super psychotic and just basically killed each other and they didn't, and then the women were more successful. I think Isn't so. Because she yeah, does mention like that, that there were Adams. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, that was, that was my first thought. We got some Adams going on. So that would be super cool if they came back and got the whole Eve storyline again. I love the Eve storyline, but it's never going to come back and I'm sad. So, well, we got the green goop. So we know it's probably more related to Earl and Meyer Flask anyway. Uh, was that green stuff? We had talked about an Earl and Meyer Flask that it would have made a lot more sense if they were clones as yeah. opposed to people being cured of diseases hmm hmm so Mulder and Scully are speaking with a sheriff about Prince's death 
And the sheriff says that Prince performed legal abortions, which kind of seems like an occupational hazard these days. And Mulder asks if he knows anything about Prince, and the sheriff says he doesn't. Like, no family has come forward. And so Scully asks about the suspect they arrested, because apparently they did arrest the suspect. And the sheriff tells him that he's Reverend Calvin Sistrunk. And he'd been threatening abortion doctors before. And when they arrested him, he was carrying a newspaper that is like from the one ad pages with Prince's face. And it says, do you know this man? So he's like, basically that's enough for an indictment. And Mulder says, well, as soon as you locate Prince's remains and the sheriff is like, that hasn't been released yet. How do you like, he's surprised that Mulder knows that they haven't found Prince's remains. And Mulder explains there's been two other identical fire deaths and neither body has been found. The sheriff says they know Prince was in the building because they found his keys in the stairwell while the fire started. And then his car was still in the parking lot and he's been missing ever since. So like, where else would he be? Right. And then they bring reverence to Strunk in. And the sheriff says that Mulder and Scully were the FBI and they want to know. And then like, as he's talking, like Strunk cuts him off and is like, if Prince burns in hell's fire for the murder of the unborn. And if he is burning in hell, Strunk says that his damnation is God's will. And Mulder says, well, whoever killed Prince will probably likely be linked to two other murders. And Strunk starts to look a little worried. And he says, like, there are those who endorse the killing of the heathen sinner in God's name, but that he is not one of them. So, like, he threatens them, but he doesn't endorse killing them, but then he's happy the dude died. It's kind of weird. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then Mulder asks if he's been to New York, New Jersey in the last two weeks. And Strunk says, like, no. So Mulder asks where he got the newspaper clipping. And he's like, well, I came from the local paper in Binghamton. So it seems like someone's been hunting for this abortion doctor, putting out newspaper ads about him. Yeah. So then we're at Globe and Mail in Binghamton, New York. And a woman who works for the paper tells Mulder and Scully that she remembers the ad with Prince's face. Whoever placed it paid cash. And Scully shows her a photo of Sistrunk, but the woman says that's not the man who placed the ad. Mulder asks if they have a name or address for the man who did. And the woman's like, nope, he wouldn't sign anything. In fact, he actually called to ask that we place the ad for a second week. And we did. And he never even came back to pay. So they can't even collect their money. So she's not super happy about that. So Mulder and Scully start to leave the newspaper office. And Scully tells Mulder that she has a bad feeling about this case because nothing makes sense. There are three deaths of three identical victims, no bodies, and a virtual non-suspect. And Mulder's like, yep, sounds just like an X-File. Mm-hmm. <laughs> She's not wrong. Or any and, kind of mur- murder, I mean, basically, where you don't know what's going on. So. so Scully points out that he doesn't know who sent him the obits. And they've been set up before. So she's worried that this is like another setup. But Mulder's like, well, if someone was trying to set us up, wouldn't they give us a little more information? And I'm like, well, they really didn't in EBE. So mm, (laughs) no, Mulder. But he notices the map on the wall and he goes up to it and he starts to kind of like pinpoint where the murders have happened. And he thinks there are more people who look exactly like Prince. And unless Mulder and Scully find them, they're going to be killed. So he shows like he kind of, traces out the route of the deaths on the map. And he says that if someone is here in Binghamton looking for another man who looks just like them, you know, he's heading north. And Mulder then asked the newspaper worker about the number in the ad and like, if it's a voicemail. And she's like, yep, it's a voicemail. And he's like, well, how can I access it and get the responses to the ad? And she's like, by paying the bill. So he does. And then she tells them to dial the number and press 1236. So Scully picks up their phone And she tells Mulder that there are 24 messages responding to the ad. And the first caller saw the man in Syracuse. 
Yeah. Uh, Scully's complaint seemed kind of uh, about the whole, like, it was very like, oh, this case, we don't know the answer already, Mulder. We should quit. It's probably fake. I don't know. They're, again, I'm going to complain about Scully because that's what I do. At least in this scene and later, too, a little bit, they're kind of writing her as, like, the character Dr. Watson, like a whiny little dullard a little bit. Cause, like, they're talking. There are several times in here where Mulder says something. She's like, really? Like, she never would have thought of that idea. But then later, she also seems to be, like, really like on the ball it's kind of they're just kind of doing that thing they do with scully a lot where they don't write her very consistently and yeah she has to play off Mulder, right so Mulder, and at least in this scene and then later too it's like Mulder's the sherlock and she's the watson it's like oh how did you ever figure that out you're so brilliant but yeah yeah although i don't think her fears are unwarranted because like even though it's an x-file no 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 just the way like like when Mulder walks up to the thing he says i think there's probably more she's like more victims like yeah that's why said like she does it a couple times in the episode it's kind of like again it's the writing it's not she's not a real person it's not like oh she's so dumb or whatever because she's not they just Ow! it upsets me so much because it's all writing and it bothers me so fbi field office syracuse new york special agent weiss answers the phone and it's Mulder, and he's asking to enlist his help Mulder says that he and Scully are heading his way, and he believes that a man in the area, a Dr. Aaron Baker, may be in danger. So Weiss says he'll call back with an address as soon as he tracks Baker down, and Mulder wants him kind of like to keep an eye on him, make sure nothing happens to him. So, Right. And Agent Weiss is played by Andrew Johnston, who played Colonel Budahas in Deep Throat. And he'll actually come back in an episode in season four as well. Yeah, so now in season two, both Mr. and Mrs. Budahas have shown up in their witness protection program identities. <laughs> so, because she was the doctor in host who, yes. when the sewer worker was and gave him the injection. But I do wonder though, in this scene, like if what, talking about like being paranoid, if Weiss knows Mulder, because Mulder could just been any rando calling him and saying, hey, can you go track this guy and like send him on a wild goose chase or a setup to like kill him? Like, just some dude calls you and says, hey, I'm an FBI agent. Can you go track down this guy and follow him for me? Like, he's like, okay, sure, no problem. Like, okay. Yeah, I don't know. I have no idea if, like, they know of each other or if there's some secret code that they give that, like, <laughs> I don't secret I don't know how that FBI works. FBI on the phone handshake. Yeah, <laughs> where they, like, you know, they say a special word. Like, they're like, hey, by the way, did you find that potato in the shoe? Or Hail whatever. Hydra. Hail Hydra. Yeah. <laughs> They're not Hydra. They're not Hydra. <laughs> so then we are at 737 26th Street in Syracuse, New York. And Weiss pulls up to a little house and he checks the address against the one on his paper. And so he's obviously found Dr. Aaron Baker. Mm-hmm. And he goes to knock on the door, but he hears something inside. And he goes over to the window to look in. And we see a man who looks like Prince, who we're going to assume is Aaron Baker. And he's arguing with someone, but you can't really see the person because the way the frame of the window is. And then suddenly, like, we see this hand reach out and grab Baker by the shoulder. So Weiss heads around the back of the house for some reason. I'm not sure why. And then I think inside- so he can maybe, like, surprise them and get a better handle on what's going on. 
okay. was my reading of it. Because originally I thought he was going back to his car, and I was like, what are you doing? Yeah, He's in danger. That's, that's what it looked like, but then, yeah, he does show up in the back of the house. Yeah. Later. But I was like, why wouldn't you just go through the... Because he does bust down the door when he goes in. Like, why wouldn't you just do this to the front door? But anyway, yeah. yeah. So, in, so anyway, before we get to all that, inside the house, the person we're going to call the assassin, it's the same dude who killed Prince, he pushes Baker against the wall and tells him, your plan will not succeed. And then he sticks him with that needle thing and Baker hits the ground. And then Weiss busts through the door with his gun drawn and he tells the assassin to drop the weapon. And then he looks down and Baker's body is like, oh, it's dissolving. It's like this green gooey foam on the floor. Like even the clothes are dissolving. Mm -hmm. And the assassin jerks forward like he's going to get Weiss. And so Weiss boom, 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 hits him three times with a gun and all three bullet wounds, body shots. I mean, he's pretty close. You would hope he'd get body shots. And they start oozing like this similar looking green stuff. And then Weiss, like kind of like his eyes twitch and he's like, ah, like something's burning him. Similar to what we saw in Erlenmeyer Flask. The green stuff obviously has some sort of acidic quality. That right. The air and like it's a stuff. gas that fills the air. And like, yeah. Yeah. So then Mulder and Scully arrive at the house and Weiss's car is still parked out front, although they don't know that's Weiss's car. And Mulder knocks on the door and there's no answer. But then behind him, Weiss is there and he says, Agent Mulder. And he shows them his badge. And Mulder's like, did you find Dr. Baker? And he's like, nope, afraid not. No one's home. And there's two weeks of mail in the mailbox. So probably hasn't been here for a while. Bummer. And Mulder laments that he may already be dead. So Mulder and Scully are like, well, we're going to take a look around the house. And he's like, not much to see and walks away. And Weiss heads back to his car and he opens the trunk and we see that the real Weiss is curled up in the trunk and he's naked and his eyes and nose are bright red and he has cuts on his face like he was scratching at his skin. And the assassin shifts back to his original face and he tosses the car keys in the trunk with Weiss's body and then he closes it. And then he quickly walks down the sidewalk and away from the home. And then we have a commercial. Yes. And my first thought was like, it feels like it would be better to drive the car away or something. But then I was like, I mean, I'm not a trained alien assassin, so maybe I don't know your best practices. I guess it would only buy you so much time. And if no one's actually seen your real face, I guess it doesn't matter that much. And Mulder and Scully don't know that's Weiss's car, so they'll just assume someone's car's parked there. They're not gonna, you know, and Weiss walked to wherever his car was and left, so they're not gonna like look into it. But it still just struck me as a little weird to just leave it there. Yeah. Aside from the green foamy blood, because we found out the assassin also has green foamy blood, we can assume this guy is not a T-1000 because he cannot form clothing because he's actually wearing Weiss's clothes. Fortunately, they seem to fit because Weiss is in his underwear in the trunk. Mm-hmm. so cannot form clothing so probably not a t1000 also green blood so and then like you said alien assassin so I, I know we're we're going there but like we're just assuming that the green blood is the same as in the Erlenmeyer flask correct well i'm not but that's because okay. i know he's an alien assassin i'm assuming that the green blood in the clones was like a side effect of the alien DNA, and this guy probably has like pure alien DNA. Maybe we don't really okay, know. Okay, because Doctor Sakar in Erlenmeyer Flask could not shape change. Right. But these it seems like these doctors also don't seem to be able to shape change. But no. yet they obviously seem to be like maybe full on aliens too. We don't know. We don't know. But the shape changing thing is really new. 
And I know you're, you're going to love this. You're going to love, love, love this. I figured out who the alien assassin is. Oh, no. He's not really an alien. Oh, it's no. Donnie Faster. Oh, or no. something or something <laughs> like Donnie Faster, because that would explain the morphine in Irresistible. Oh, he can shape change, no. right? So Donnie Faster is maybe also an alien assassin, or this is Donnie Faster. And he just managed to, you know, this time find Scully resistible and not like attack her and try to get her fingernails in her hand. Yeah, I don't know who this Donnie Faster is. I don't know what you're talking about. I've never heard of this episode, you know, Irresistible. That, your favorite episode this season. <laughs> nope, never heard of it. Doesn't exist. <laughs> He's a shape changer. I nope, don't know. I don't think it so. seems it that seems like they're familiar. really tying the mythos together. Finally, all right. <laughs> I mean, so it does seem that way, but now we have to go back and change our ratings on Irresistible. Now we know what's going on, <laughs> and everything is fantastic. <laughs> nope, no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> oh. hmm. Well, we'll see. We shall see. So. Maybe we will find the answers at FBI headquarters in Washington, D.C. <gasps> yeah. So Skinner's at his desk, <laughs> and over the intercom, his receptionist tells him that Mulder has arrived, and he says to send him into his office. So Mulder comes in, and he tells Mulder to have a seat, and Mulder apologizes for being late. He just flew in. And Skinner's like, from? And Mulder's like, Syracuse. And Skinner asks, like, well, what were you doing there? And he says that he and Scully were following up on a lead for a case. And Skinner asks if anyone authorized the case or if he has any paperwork on this case that he is apparently working on. And Mulder gets kind of like, he gets a little pissy, but he also seems kind of like confused. He's like, I thought we had an understanding that I would be able to pursue the X-Files. And Skinner says, yes, but the people that I have to report to aren't so understanding about our agreement, particularly when one of their field agents is found dead. And Mulder's like, what? And Skinner hands him a photo and tells him that Agent Weiss was found stuffed in the trunk of a car that was at an address that Mulder sent him to. And Mulder's like, that's impossible. Like, we spoke to Weiss at the scene. But Skinner tells him to save it for the report because until this matter is cleared up, his investigation, official or otherwise, is terminated. A man is dead, and Skinner wants a full accounting on his desk in the morning. So Mulder nods, and he leaves. Yeah. So when he gets back to the X-Files office, the phone is ringing and Mulder kind of barges in like, you know, he flings the door open. He's clearly unhappy and he answers the phone and it's Scully and apparently she's working from home or something. I mean, good for her. So she's at home and he tells her that Agent Weiss is dead. Someone killed him and they're being grounded. And Mulder just wishes he knew what was going on. And Scully's like, have you checked your email yet this morning? I got a disturbing email and I want to know if you got it too. It turns out there's another man who looks like the others. His name is James Dickens, and he's in D.C., so he's really close. And Mulder's like, okay, stay where you are. I'll be right over. I wouldn't call that a disturbing email, an interesting email, but not disturbing. Yeah. I, mm, I, I didn't think it was, it was very 90s, though, because I got an email, and it had a digitized photograph of, like, so. yeah. And it might just be disturbing because, like, it's coming from a mysterious source and, like, they have her email address. I don't know. It might be kind of yeah. weird. Her email address is probably actually publicly available because she is it a public servant. It probably is. It's probably Dana.Scully at yeah. FBI.gov. Or like, or, like, ScullyD at FBI.gov or, yeah, something. Yeah, yeah. probably, so...
So Mulder gets out of his car and he finds a man in a trench coat lurking on the stoop of Scully's building. And then the man like starts to leave and he passes Mulder and then he stops and he's like, are you Mulder? And he pulls out a badge and identifies himself as Agent Ambrose Chapel, And he's with the Central Intelligence Agency. He needs to talk to Mulder about the case he's working on. And the case involves the murder of certain identical victims. He has a story to tell and Mulder definitely wants to hear it. Although it is weird that he's looking for Mulder at Scully's building. Maybe he assumes he just sleeps over or something. Maybe like everyone in the FBI is just like he's probably at Scully's. <laughs> so I didn't I didn't realize that was Scully's because previously Scully has lived in a house. Yeah, is it maybe is it Mulder's building? Because maybe Mulder's leaving. Well, he, well, he's going up to it, so it could be he's going up to his building because he wasn't in office. Yeah, so, so maybe could, he's he at his, going his, to his house. Okay, and then is going to go see Scully. That makes more sense that he would be at his building and then they go and to then Scully's maybe together. Maybe they go to Scully's house together. Like he actually follows I, him. Or yeah, something. I actually didn't pay attention to where they were when they were inside talking in the next scene. If that was Mulder's or Scully's or even some I thought it was place. Scully's, but I don't know. Maybe that's just because I assumed that they were, that was where Mulder was headed. So I just assumed it was Scully's. Yeah. And that would make know. more sense that he's outside Mulder's building. So that actually works. Like he was going to see Mulder. Yes. Yeah. So inside, wherever they ended up being, Mulder's house, Scully's house, some random house of someone that isn't home. We don't know. <laughs> Chapel tells Mulder and Scully, we've known of their existence for a decade. He's going to spill the alien stuff right here, right now. Sweet. He says they had no idea they were in country until last year. Scully asks who they are. Chapel says they're working on vague intelligence reports, but apparently in the Cold War, Soviet scientists stumbled upon a genetic anomaly found in twins. And they were able to isolate it, which is the part of make that gives you all the identical part. So identical twins specifically and reproduce it. Scully asked if he's saying that these men are clones and Chapel says it appears that way. And Mulder asks how they got to the States and Chapel says the project was called Gregor and it's the same name given to the clone. So they're all called like, I guess like Gregor one, Gregor two, or however you say one and two in Russian. I don't know. Yeah. The original Gregor came over in the 1970s and then using his passport, they were able to like get a small group of clones over into the country, recycling the same passport. And then all the clones have since obtained strategic positions in the medical establishment. Um, apparently working in an abortion labs, I guess, is strategic. But anyway, mm -hmm. so Mulder asks why. And Chapel says that in the event of war, they would mobilize in cities across the country to contaminate blood supplies, sabotage pharmaceutical factories, basically destroy the country's immune system. So Scully asked, like, if the CIA has known about this for a year, why has anything been done? And Chapel tells them that there's a secret agreement to let the men be systematically eradicated by someone he believes is a Russian spy killer in exchange for suppression of the program's existence and obtaining copies of the signs that created it. So kind of like, well, we'll let you kill them off as long as you probably don't do this anymore and let us have the information too. So seems like a weird agreement, but okay. So Mulder asks what Chapel's business is. And Chapel tells Mulder they share similar feelings about the government systems of denial. And it's why the Gregors have been trying to contact Mulder because Mulder has a reputation as someone who could protect them and would bring the misdeeds to light. And Mulder's like, what makes you think they've been trying to contact me? And Chapel says the inquiries into the deaths and their response to the ad he placed. 
So then he shows them like the original photo and the text that they obviously like scanned for the personal ad photo. He says, this is state sanctioned murder. And if they can find them first, maybe the truth can be known. And Mulder tells them they may know where one of the Gregors may be. Mulder, buddy, trust no one. No one. Deep Throat is like rolling in his grave right now. Trust no one. Oh, <laughs> Mulder. <laughs> oh, yeah. my god. So I guess what we're saying is that the, the Gregors are actually the ones that are calling the number to say like, yes, I saw myself. I'm right here. <laughs> I guess that's what's being implied here. I don't think that's what's being implied, but I think it's being implied that he he created the ad, and then for whatever reason, I don't well, know. Because he, he said that they've been trying to contact you, like the inquiries into the desk, and their response to the ad I placed. And uh, so it, it was Mulder like, and Scully's response to the ad that he oh, placed. Oh, they called the pronouns. Pronouns. Yes. So it was because Mulder and Scully were investigating the deaths. And okay, so the there is Mulder and Scully, not yes, the yeah. Okay, that's okay. I didn't write that super clearly. That might be my fault. no. That's what he says though, too. And that's not that's not you. Okay. So yeah, I no, misunderstood so it, was... it when I watched it. So okay, it's not, it's not this reading that made me confused. It's actually when I watched it, I was confused. Okay. So yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it's pretty <laughs> obvious at this point that Chapel is the killer. Let's or at be least, honest. Like, We've seen the dude can shape change. Yeah. Well, and like, this is a guy from the CIA that you've never met who suddenly wants to give Mulder classified information. Like, even if you don't have the information that we, the viewers, have, it's a little suspicious. Like, Mulder, Mulder should know better than to just, like, spill. But I guess he's, like, desperate. He's, like, oh, this person wants to help me. I mean, Mulder, we all know his weakness it's like if you offer to give him information or help and find the truth, he, you know, he, uh, anyway, Mulder just has a thing. Yeah, because, I mean, the, the assassin got Mulder's <laughs> name at Baker's house, right? So, like, I don't know if, like, the assassin, like, you know, like, made Weiss tell him who sent him there or whatever, because he, he knows Mulder's name. Right. And so then now he's, like, showing up at Mulder's building. We're thinking this is Mulder's building. And so, like, he's, like, you know, building the pieces together. I think it's pretty obvious he's the killer. He's he's the alien. He shapeshifted. So, so the actor who plays Ambrose Chapel, Tom Butler, also had a small role in Ghost in the Machine, where he played Benjamin Drake. Right, the CEO who died in the opening mm-hmm. in the bathroom. Yep. And he's also been in lots of stuff, including Outer Limits, Cedar Cove, and of course, a couple episodes of Supernatural. I'm telling you, it's calling to us. Well, you know, 15 seasons, like you're gonna have actor crossover because think of all the like side characters you need to cast like i don't know what really has got me excited now is that i learned there's a scooby-doo crossover with supernatural you know they did an animated episode with scooby-doo does not surprise me and actually i think i've seen gift sets from that on tumblr so and so i need to at least go see that episode did not watch that far but i did watch the musical they actually put themselves into one of the first season episodes of scooby-doo where are you to actually use a real episode as the basis not just like oh so, cool yeah so it's kind of like a behind the scenes look of the scooby-doo episode it's kind of like when next gen did that weird crossover with trouble with tribbles with the original series of star trek and i have no idea i know trouble with tribbles but i have no idea what the next gen thing is oh that's like an x-men title or something isn't it 
I can't remember which series it was, but it might have been Deep Space Nine where they did like the crossover with like the original series and they cut in scenes from like the original episode. Uh, It was kind of weird, but yeah, it was a thing that they did one time. Although that's all in universe, though. This is like completely. Yeah, no, that's completely different. Yeah, it's weird. I'll have to check that out too. I'm curious now. Yeah, I think it's in (laughs) season. uh, I want to say like it's in, I'm probably wrong. Maybe it's season 12. I want to say season eight, but that seems too. It seems like it was much later that it was like it was like in 2018. Okay. So 12 would probably be about right if 15 ended in 20. So yeah, that sounds yeah. about right. Yeah, it's, it's called Scuba Natural. Huh. So it's the episode title. So yeah, interesting. I'm gonna have to at least watch that. You know, I'm not gonna know anything else about the story, but <laughs> okay. you'll deal. figure it out. I don't I'll think it's that it complicated. Yeah. yeah. So then we're in Germantown, Maryland. And at a factory, one of the Gregors, James Dickens, it's not like a factory. I call it the factory because it reminds me of the factory on Buffy, which is just like like an all-purpose. Yeah, it's an all-purpose warehouse building that's like shut down that nothing happens in. So at this warehouse, one of the Gregors, James Dickens, is inside this makeshift lab. And he grabs his medical bag and then he examines this tank that's full of this like opaque green liquid. And you can kind of see there's something inside, but it's like obscured because the liquid is really like thick and you can't see through it. And Dickens then heads out with his bag and he gets in a van that's waiting outside. And he says, "Okay, let's go to the driver who pulls away. Yep, And there are like four of those tanks in the room. Mm -hmm. Yeah. They're obviously clone tanks. Mm -hmm. Yeah. They are they are a nice upgrade from the Erlenmeyer flask because it's like aquarium, so so that's good. Yeah, they're nice cylindrical tanks, so nice. Also, Germantown is where the first on-screen sex death occurs in Genderbender, in Germantown, Maryland. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> and your your memory is really bad. Um, <laughs> is it? Say, I've never heard of these things. <laughs> yeah, apparently Germantown because we in that episode we talk about how Germantown actually is a real town. Right. Yeah. Actually, every town in this episode is real except for one that we'll mention when we get to it. But apparently in real life at this time in the 1990s, Germantown also housed a company who was one of the preeminent DNA analysis companies, like for like crime scene stuff. So, OK, cool. I don't know if that was coincidence or not or. Yeah, or, I don't know. Clones, but yeah. So the van pulls up to an apartment building and parks. And Dickens and the woman head inside and he sets his medical bag on a chair and outside there's a white car parked down on the street and we see Mulder and Scully get out. And then upstairs there's a knock and Mulder and Scully announce themselves and the woman like takes her coat off the rack by the door and heads I guess to the next room or maybe a back exit we don't really know. And once she's gone and out of sight Dickens opens the door and Mulder says he believes Dickens has been trying to contact them and Dickens says yes. But then Chapel steps up behind Mulder, and the minute he sees him, Dickens gets really freaked out. He's like, he kind of backs away, and Mulder's like, there's nothing to be afraid of, but Dickens turns and runs. And he jumps through the glass and out the window. So they rush to the window, and they see Dickens lying on the sidewalk below. So Scully, like, goes to call the paramedics, and then Mulder sees Dickens get up and flee the scene. Yeah, and they're like four stories up, at least. Yeah. Yeah. So it's not the kind of jump that you would be walking away from. And Mulder heads for the door to chase after him and Chapel follows. So Scully finishes her call and goes to the window and she sees Dickens running down the street and Mulder gives chase. Chapel follows. But then at the corner, Chapel goes the other direction so that he can try and like 
cut Dickens off so they can both like head him off from both directions. And Scully heads out of the apartment and we see the woman from earlier is like hiding in a closet watching. Yeah. I Did Scully not hear them? Because like she goes like, I'm going to go call a paramedics and Mulder's like, wait, he's getting up. And then they like run out of the room. She's in the same room on the phone. But then when she's done, she's like, just finishes a call. And then she like just casually walks over the window and looks out and is like, oh, and then like runs out of the room. Like, she, did she not hear them? Did she not know what was going on? I don't, I think that maybe she's, it's confusing. Like she's on the phone with 911, probably being like this guy fell out of the window and Mulder's like, he's gone and like runs out the door and she like goes to the window and is like, what? Like, <laughs> Yeah, but like they both run out of the room and, yeah. then she, and, and then she's still, she's still on the phone and then she finishes the call and is like, I think the last thing she was like, okay, well, I'll call you back. So maybe she realizes like, wait, maybe we don't need you. I'll call you back. Right. Like, yeah. And then goes over the window and it's like, but then happening? she just kind of like, she doesn't like run over the window. She kind of just like walks over and kind of looks out and it's like, Oh, he's gone. And then she like runs up. It's like, it's just weird. Uh, again, it's writing. So, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. So Mulder is chasing Dickens. And again, we know Mulder is good at running. Dickens crosses the street. Mulder is catching up to him, but then this car Boom! Hits Mulder. Mulder rolls up on the hood, smashes through, well, not through the front windshield, but smashes the windshield, and then rolls back off the car as the car stops. And Scully comes racing over because she has left the buildings outside, and she asks him if he's okay, and he says he's fine. He's got the wind knocked out of him, and then he tells her not to lose him and to go. So she stands up, and she runs after Dickens. And I'm like, the driver in the car took his sweet time getting to Mulder because, like, Mulder gets hit, rolls off the hood. Scully is, like, half a block away. We see her run up to Mulder. She talks to Mulder. Then she gets up and runs after Dickens. And then the dude in the car comes over like, are you okay? It's like, what were you doing in your car, dude? Or, like, I mean, I guess maybe he was, like, shocked, but still. Yeah, like, he might have been. He would have. He should have beat Scully. And I don't know why, like, he couldn't have been in the scene, too, except for then, you know, it's interfering with the two stars having their scene. Right. But yeah. So we cut back to Dickens and he's running and he comes up to a chain link fence. Like he, the alley he was running down, chain link fence, cuts it off. And he turns around and he sees Chapel at the mouth of the alley. Dun, dun, dun. And then Chapel kind of slowly starts walking down the alley. So panic, he's looking around and he sees a fire escape ladder and he climbs up on the, on the dumpster and pulls the ladder down, he starts to climb. But then a hand reaches up and grabs his leg. And then we cut. And we see that it's actually the alien assassin's face attached to the hand. Well, I mean, not really attached to the hand, but you realize it's the same person. So Scully comes running down the alley and then it's like, it's empty. So she kind of stops and she draws her gun and she's kind of looking around. And then Chapel kind of pops up from behind a dumpster and he's like, oh, Dickens, like he, he like jumped me and hit me. And then he ran up this fire escape to get on the roof. And so I'm going to go try and find a way up on the roof. And he kind of just like, leaves and just casually walks out of the alley like not like in a hurry strangely and so scully kind of looks up at the fire escape and then she goes around to the side of the dumpster and then she steps in this green foamy goo and it's like ooh. and then she kind of like looks around and it's like this is weird and then she leaves and then we go back to the dumpster and we pan down and the green stuff on the ground suddenly starts bubbling like it's boiling and it foams and then just all evaporates and goes away. So apparently Scully stepping on it activated the self-destruct mechanism for the green foam. So. I don't think her stepping, I think it's a timing thing, but yeah. Oh. Yeah. I definitely got some uh, serious Robert Stack vibes from Unsolved Mysteries when Chapel like walks into the mouth of the alley, like 
It just looked like Robert Stack kind of. Yeah, he like, even oh. has kind of the same hair. Yeah, maybe that's why it looked like it him. Totally it totally did. Like yeah. I wonder if that was unsolved mysteries. <laughs> yeah. I'm actually surprised they didn't go with like a little street fog, like the like the like the sewer mm-hmm. steam kind of thing to get, make it even more spooky. Because they actually do that later in the episode where they get kind of like the street sewer steam fog come up the manhole cover stuff. They didn't do it here. But yeah, I definitely yeah, the whole Robert Stack on Unsolved Mysteries. Totally. Yeah. yeah. And then self-cleaning alien clones. How convenient. Like it's very that's my hat tip to MST three K. So if you know the yeah, reference, yeah. know the reference. No idea. But yeah, I I get I get the I understand what you're saying, but I don't I don't know the exact reference, but mm-hmm. I don't have to. No. Nope. So yeah. So I just wonder, like, is the green stuff only acidic to wet membranes, like when it first comes out and is exposed to air? Because it does seem like Scully would have at least been mildly affected. Well, like, it has we to going... be because Weiss, when he walks in. That body's already dissolving, and that doesn't seem to affect him, right? Yeah. But then when he shoots the alien, oh, okay. it does affect him. And so I don't know so it is super why immediate. it has to okay. be like, yeah, it has to be. Because if there's any time, we've seen that that doesn't have any effect for whatever reason. Okay. I don't know why that is. I'm also wondering, like, is it going to, like, eat up Scully's shoe? Like, is it going to melt her shoe or something? Because it, it obviously melts clothing, too. Right, yeah. Like, because the clothing disappears as well. It's not like there's, like, just, like, you know, like, sometimes, like, when, you know, bad guys like dissolve or whatever like then there's just like a empty clothes laying on the ground kind of thing but this time everything is gone yeah so and then i also have to wonder like why wouldn't they have just like chapel or scully like just go up the fire escape to chase them why would you go try and find the route to the roof like why don't we just use the same route that the dude used yeah um, i don't know I, mean, I definitely wouldn't be like i gotta i'm gonna go try and find access to the roof and then just kind of like well i mean scully's super suspicious of him like the way he's behaving she clearly doesn't believe him and so that's why she's kind of like huh that's weird and she kind of looks up at the fire escape and is like she probably has the same thought like why wouldn't you just go up the fire escape and then she looks around and that's when she steps in the green goose so she clearly doesn't trust him and like maybe she doesn't want to go up on the roof because if he's not willing to she's like i don't know what's going on but i'm not going up there (laughs) yeah and then obviously they they just throw away the possibility that Chapel isn't the assassin because like no. someone grabs his leg and then we see the assassin's face. I would no, have thought they want us to know. Not, like you could have not done that and like left it more ambiguous. Yeah, I mean I think bit. it's pretty obvious. I think we both guessed it pretty quick. I know it's just <laughs> go, going on. They're they're gonna repeat that thing where it's like something happens and then we see that it's the assassin. Like they keep using that same thing. It's like okay, we got it. We, we got that the first time. Like, you don't need to keep showing, like, the morph to the assassin. Like, yeah. I guess they're like, oh, it's really the assassin. Like, yeah, we kind of figured that out. But here, I would thought, like, if they, if they hadn't shown the assassin, if they just showed, like, a hand grab him, and we don't know who it is, and then we see Chapel, like, oh, someone, like, hit me in the head, and I think he went up on the roof, right? Then it's like, well, who hit him on the head? Was it the assassin who hit him on the head and then killed Dickens? Yeah. Or is Chapel the assassin? Like we wouldn't know, right? And then you could play into that. But they were just like, nope, it's Chapel. Yeah, I don't I think what you're saying makes sense and it could have worked, but at the same time, I don't think they need to keep this they their goal is not to keep that a secret. (laughs) No, but then they also if they're not gonna keep it a secret, they also don't need to keep using it as like Yeah, like device. Woo! Revelation, he's actually the assassin. Like they keep because they keep using that, and it's like Okay, well, we kind of figured that out the first time. Right, yeah. So back at the X-Files office, Scully asks Mulder how he's feeling. And he's like, like I should use the crosswalk. 
So Mulder wit. And he's better than his phone, though, because his phone was broken in the accident. So he, like, you know, shows her the broken phone. I'm sure this he won't be He shakes it, and it, like, rattles. It's like there's something yeah, loose inside of it. It's completely destroyed. And I'm sure this won't be a plot point at all that will matter. <laughs> then Scully says maybe they should have dropped the case when they were told by Skinner. And Mulder says, well, what if what Chapel says is true? Like, we could blow the lid off one of the biggest national security conspiracies ever. And Scully doesn't think Chapel is trustworthy. She tells Mulder that she doesn't buy his story about Dickens in the fire escape. Like, it didn't make sense to her. And then she's like, whatever happened to trust no one? And I was like, yes, thank you, Scully. And Mulder jokes that he changed it to trust everyone. But he actually has run a full background check on Ambrose Chapel. He's a 17-year veteran with special intelligence clearance. So he is the real deal. And he hands Scully the file. And it's like, look, I did my homework. Although, to be fair, he did not do his homework before he led him to one of the Gregors. So Mulder. That's true. Mulder. I'm still. I mean, we don't know how much time passed between like when he meets Chapel and they have the little tete-a-tete there. It doesn't seem like it's but very We're going to assume yeah. he's like, hey. Let me go check on you and then we can come back and have a meeting. We're assuming that happened later. Right. Like, after, like he did that like this morning or something after the whole fiasco with Dickens. Yeah. So, yeah. Although given her incredulity, I'm surprised that Scully actually didn't check up on Chapel because she is in the past been good at looking up people yeah. and finding their backgrounds like she did with Dwayne Barry. Right. So I'm surprised that she just like how can you trust him like how come she didn't actually check on chapel maybe she was going to that morning and she hasn't gotten around to it <laughs> so then scully asks why a man with his experience would even want their help or need their help and then she says that dickens was actually running from agent chapel he wasn't running from them and Mulder tells her she's being paranoid and i'm like Mulder, come <laughs> on buddy and she asks if he's considered that chapel might have actually killed weiss and Mulder actually gets kind of angry and he asks if she wants him to put that on his report for Skinner. And then Scully gets angry and she's like, damn it, Mulder, that isn't my job. And then she tells Mulder that he'll pursue a case at the expense of everything and expect her to follow him. And there has to be somewhere they draw the line. And Mulder says that three identical men are dead and a fourth is on the lamb. If this case feels like insanity to her, she can feel free to step away from it. And like, whew, that's a little getting a little heated. And mm-hmm. Scully reminds him that an agent died because of their pursuit of this case. And he's like, those are the risks we take. Either you accept them or you don't. And Mulder says, we all draw our own lines. Yeah. I do wonder, like, because Mulder's like, you know, you can put this in a report. And I'm sure Skinner will be glad to question you about it. And she goes like, damn it, that's my job. Like, why isn't Scully part of the whole Skinner's report thing? Like, why? Like, she was there. She talked to Weiss, too. Like, yeah, I don't know. I honestly report? don't remember that part of the scene, so I don't know. Like, I don't remember because well, they both walk line. up, and then he's like, "Oh, there's nothing there." So, like, at least she witnesses that, like, yeah, we did talk to Weiss, and that was last time we saw him, and then he left. Yeah. So, if nothing else, it'd be like that, just a single statement about that. But yeah, I don't know. Also, like the whole like like the you'll follow a case and expect me to follow you. Like he, I don't know that he's expected her to follow him at all. She tends to like refuse to not work on things more than he tells her to like in your favorite episode he tried to tell her like hey why don't you like not be here you're obviously upset and she's like no no i'll do it and like she has to like help out with Dwayne barry like it's not like he's saying like i'm dragging you along with you like it or not she chooses to do that she's always yeah. made the choice I mean, to follow Mulder. 
they're having an argument they're you know maybe she feels pressured to follow him along when he does like goes to the Arecibo telescope or whatever like she you know to well again him she and... followed him there as well he right say, but hey, she probably but I'm just saying maybe she feels obligated to do that well also I mean this doesn't come up in here at all but if you want to explain that and also the earlier thing about like maybe we should just drop this case right and Mulder calling her paranoid with respect to what happened with Dwayne Barry and to her going to therapy with her PTSD like she could just be more sensitive at this time because of the whole PTSD yeah and just like afraid for herself which would not like yeah that's part of the job I get it but also when you're under that kind of stress like you aren't able to make rational decisions right it's so. part of the job but Mulder and Scully are attacked and beaten more than most FBI agents no, are well, in yeah. their career I think too, well because so. they're doing the X-Files it's <laughs> to be expected yeah so, so then she considers for a moment and they seem to kind of take a breath maybe some of the the tension comes out and she says she has to show him something and she pulls out her shoe from the night before and the tip looks discolored and like kind of warped and there's this big hole in the bottom and she tells him that she stepped in something that ate straight through the sole and the shoes are like brand new too and so she's like maybe i'm being paranoid but it was the exact spot where chapel said dickens escaped and Mulder suggests she send it to the lab and arrange for an autopsy bay and apparently there's been no clear cause of death established for Weiss, so I guess he wants Scully to look at the body. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I, I just have a question. I realize that this is a thing, and it's a societal thing as well. It's not just necessarily like dudes writing the episode. It's actually what's expected of women in their job. But the idea that she's wearing pumps as an FBI agent seems really weird. Yeah, I mean... Like, it's... as part of your job... Like, honestly, like, I would think, like, all FBI agents, men or women, they should basically be wearing, like, tennis shoes at all times because they need possibly to, like, run after people. Yeah. Like, they shouldn't be wearing, like, leather-soled shoes that are going to be slippery in water and all that kind of stuff, right? I mean, like, Kolchek, right? Kolchek wears a suit, but he's always wearing tennis shoes, right? It's been commented in some of his episodes that he's always wearing tennis shoes because he needs to run. Right, so, or if you're like in a restaurant, you have to wear like non-slip shoes, and that's because yeah. you know it's a safety. It just seems thing. like they should all be wearing like functional shoes. Yeah, I mean it's television. It's like in Jurassic World. Well, it's when they television, have... and it's also what's expected of women, right? Yeah, I mean, well, but yeah, it's but it happens more. Like it is expected of women in the office, and I'm not saying that that isn't an unfair expectation a lot of time as a woman who never wears heels i don't like heels i can't walk in heels i don't wear heels there definitely are times where like some cultures and offices are like why aren't you dressed up you're not wearing heels and it's like because mm -hmm. i can't walk and i will fall on my face um but it's also just like in jurassic world when they had bryce dallas howard like running from the t-rex in heels and it's like she's at work at a theme park that has dinosaurs even if she's not actively running from dinosaurs as part of her everyday job she should be wearing shoes because she's got to hike up to the dinosaur paddocks all the time and she should probably be wearing like walking shoes tennis shoes something like that so yeah it's yeah. ridiculous it happens I think in comics too they've gotten a little better about it but comics and then action figures as well like the women are always wearing like heels or they're wearing like the chunky heel like shoes right. as well and it's like if you're fighting crime 
you probably just want functional shoes and not heels. I mean, like, if you can do it in heels, good for you. You know, go Sailor Sentry, like if that's your thing. But yeah, personally, I would prefer to fight crime in more comfortable, walkable shoes. That's just yeah. me. Yeah. So in the autopsy bay, because Mulder had asked to arrange for an autopsy bay, right? Yeah. And we're assuming they're going to be checking out Weiss's body. So we see a body that we're assuming is Weiss. It's laying on the slab. The feet and lower legs are exposed, but there's a sheet over the rest of the body. So we don't see the rest of the body. That's why we're assuming it's Weiss's body. And Scully is also not in, like, any sort of her autopsy gear. She is just in her regular, like... Mm-hmm. Is she wearing a skirt in this episode? I don't remember, but she's wearing like the standard, like I'm wearing a, a female suit kind of thing. And she's reading the autopsy report. And it's like, like we mentioned before, there's no established cause of death for Weiss, apparently. There's no knife or gunshot wounds, no sign of abrasions or strangulation marks. His toxicology report is clean. There's nothing in there. But his blood work is apparently strange. He had extreme overproduction of red blood cells. And the pathologist wrote that his blood was curdled like jelly, as if something had caused it to thicken and clot prior to death. And so Scully says, like, like something that could be administered to do that should show up on the toxicology report. So, like, something that would cause the blood to curdle or to jelly should show up on the toxicology report. So it's weird that, like, his blood did this, but there's nothing on the toxicology report. Because that doesn't just normally happen to blood. And then Mulder says that Chapel mentioned these doctors could possibly be set up to contaminate the blood supply. And couldn't one of those contaminants have been something used to kill Weiss? And Scully is like, I don't know. Like, but why wouldn't it show up on the toxicology report? Right? So she's kind of stumped. Like, how could this have occurred? And she mentioned she did take a doctor's bag as evidence from Dickens' apartment. And so maybe there's something in that bag, right? But as they're talking about this, an agent comes in and tells Mulder that Skinner is looking for him. And so he needs to go see Skinner. So Mulder tells Gully to check out the bag and see what she can find. And she asks what he's going to tell Skinner about why he hasn't filed his report yet. And he says, I'm going to tell him the truth. <laughs> I got hit by a car. <laughs> so it's Not a lie. Not um, a lie. Yeah. I was kind of confused about why they needed an autopsy. I'm assuming Scully either is going to examine the body or was planning to, and then maybe read this report, realized that what she needs to examine is the bag. And Mulder obviously didn't know what she would need. So I can see him like being preemptive, but it is funny that they're in this autopsy suite. Like you mentioned, she's not dressed to perform an autopsy at all. And they just yeah. read the report and they're like, okay, we got what we needed. <laughs> We're good. Yeah. But they do use Weiss's body later. So it's good that they have it. It's just funny that like they have this all set up and then it's like, Oh, actually not what we needed. So I am wondering, though, because they feel like there's no cause of death. And like Scully mentioned, like there's no abrasions or marks of strangulation. And I'm like, did his face magically heal? Because when we saw him in the trunk, his like nasal passages and his eyes were like all like like chemical yeah. burn looking. And he had like those claws on his forehead and on his upper cheeks, like from him scratching at his face. Like those aren't mentioned at all, though. Why would those not be there? And also... I realize they don't know what caused the blood coagulation, mm -hmm. but I would think that like jellied blood would be considered a cause of death. If you're doing an autopsy, like you might not know why it happened, but you would be like, Oh, he died because his blood turned to jelly. 
Right. I think it's it doesn't they, work anymore. They know that, but like they don't know what caused it. So they don't have the primary yeah. cause of death. They just have like it's just funny because like she's reading it, she's like, Well, his autopsy report is totally clean. Oh, except for this crazy shit that happens at the end that no one can explain. Like it's just that tends to happen a lot in the X Files. Like, this all looks totally normal. Oh, except for this last part that I like didn't yeah. mention. I mean, that's TV insane. writing. If you watch any yeah. show with medical stuff, it's always like, Oh, this looks really normal, except for this one weird thing that seems to be the thing that we're gonna be talking about, but for some reason we don't bring it up till the end. I don't know, just what happens. Yeah. So in Skinner's office, Mulder apologizes his report is so late. And Skinner like cuts him off and is like, that's not why I called you in. Your father has been trying to reach you. There's been a family emergency. And so Mulder's like, okay, thanks. And he leaves. And I was going to joke that this seemed very like high school. Like you've been called in to see the principal and then told like your parents called and they excuse you from school because there's been a family emergency. But Skinner looks like dead serious and kind of concerned and like worried when he's telling Mulder about this. And after Mulder leaves, we kind of focus on Skinner a little bit. And he looks very like, mm. so I'm wondering what's going on here. This looks yeah, like, I think little... Skinner knows something and it's not good. So, or yeah. it's at least very serious. Yeah. So in the X-Files office, Mulder calls his dad's house and his mom answers and Mulder seems surprised she's there. I don't know if his parents are divorced or still together, if we've ever talked about that. I'm guessing from the scene that they're not still together because obviously he's kind of surprised she's the one who answered. Mm -hmm. And she does put his father on and his dad tells him he received a strange phone call this afternoon and he called Fox's mother. And they think it's important that he come up right away. And Mulder asks what's going on. But his dad's like, I'll know more by the time you get here. And he doesn't want to tell him anything. And then Scully comes in with the medical bag and says there isn't much in there, but there is an address. And he tells her to check it out. And then he grabs his coat. And she asks where he's going. And he says home. And Scully looks at the tag on the bag. And it reads, Dr. James Dickens, 3242 Edmonton Street, Germantown. I thought Mulder had probably said that even his parents call him Mulder. That was, a, him Fox. that was a joke. <laughs> Oh, okay. That was a yeah. His parents don't call him Mulder. Okay. I think he was that's, just teasing. I thought he had previously said like he even makes his parents call him Mulder. Yeah, I think that was but... supposed to be a joke because he doesn't want other people to okay. call him Fox. Yeah. I just that just I just like anytime someone says Fox, it just automatically like ding 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 ding. Hey. So. Yeah. yeah, it's an interesting first name. So Scully pulls up to the address on the tag, which we see is the warehouse that Dickens was at earlier, and Scully creeps inside with her gun drawn and she pretty much immediately steps in more green goo and so then she like she's like inside but there's like this other like the building's kind of sectioned off and so she steps up to the entrance of the big room and she sees chapel is in there and he knocks over one of the green tanks and it breaks and green water like whooshes out onto the floor and these like fleshy things like smack onto the floor and Chapel steps on one, and this green goo oozes out of it. And Scully's like, ooh. And so she, like, pulls back to retreat. But Chapel hears her and looks up. And he heads into the hall just in time to see the door close. And Scully's car pulls away just as he gets outside. So I hope no one is watching this trying to eat green jello because I don't know if I could do that. It's pretty gross. Yeah, that's fine. It's Not just... a green goop everywhere. It's not really bad gross but there goes another pair of shoes though because she just stepped in more green goop so that yeah. shoes, those shoes are gone yeah i hope she so. can like get a stipend from the fbi for yeah. more shoes i don't know like when you're some like do people not look at the ground when they're walking around in unfamiliar places like do they just like 
I would be looking at the ground. I'd be looking at everything, but people just step in stuff on TV all the time. So I do wonder too. Okay, so we know at this point we know Chapel is the alien assassin, mm-hmm. right? They like this would be a scene where we wouldn't know that, and so this would seem odd. But since they already basically told us that he is in the previous scene where he grabs Dickens and kills Dickens, we know that Chapel is the alien assassin. Yeah. And so, like, why would he still be in chapel skin when he was doing this? Why wouldn't he just be in alien assassin mode? Like, why would he be, like, I'm assuming it takes some, I don't know, energy at least, like mental energy, physical energy, whatever, to, like, mm-hmm. morph and be someone else. But it just seems weird that he would be in chapel mode in this, especially since we already know it's the alien. Yeah, it is. And I think it's only so Scully doesn't see the real face, which is stupid. But, yeah, it's not... <laughs> It's okay. It doesn't make a lot of sense, right? I mean, writing-wise, I think it's because they didn't want Scully to see his real face. They wanted him her to see Chapel. Oh, but like, because okay, logically, in universe, it doesn't make any sense because he wouldn't. He needs to yeah. be in disguise because he wouldn't think anything. But was for there. what's going to happen later, Scully yeah. needs to think that it's Chapel. Right. Gotcha. So okay. it's just a writing thing. So it's a writing thing. Okay. Yeah. Doesn't so. make a lot of sense in universe. Okay. So again, because I'm assuming that takes some effort. You're, you're right. doing some kind of like mental effort to like hold the shape or something. I could I could be wrong. Maybe it's just like once you're there, you're just there, and it's cool. You can be like that for the rest of your life. No one. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I don't know how it works. I'm not an alien assassin. Or if I, I was, mean, I wouldn't tell you. Yeah, so, exactly. Not like yeah. you'd admit it. So yeah. So, I mean, I probably would because I'm stupid. I'd be like, oh yeah, hey, hey guys. By the so, way, we also contract as alien assassins. This is cool. I clubs. can do that too. Wow. <laughs> oh yeah. dear. So Scully's back at home and she's trying to call Mulder and she gets his voicemail. And she tells him that she needs to speak to him immediately, that she has new information on the case, and she thinks that she's in danger. She's in her apartment. And she thinks that she's been followed. And then she looks through her blinds and outside there's a man in a car, like just obviously watching her. So. Yep. So then we are at Martha's Vineyard in West Tisbury, Massachusetts. And Mulder kind of like gets out of the car and he's running up the steps to the porch of this large white house. And he reaches the porch and a man who we'll learn is his dad is sitting outside and he's lighting a cigarette. And his dad tells him, your mother needs some time. And so Mulder's like, well, you told me it was an emergency. And his dad tells him that his mother wanted him to come. And then Mulder kind of goes up to him. and is like about to like give his dad a hug. But his dad just puts his hand out. And so they shake instead of hugging. So you get a clue maybe about the father-son relationship here as well. And it's a difficult time, his father says. And he appreciates Mulder coming on such short notice. Mulder asks, like, what's going on? And his dad says, certainty becomes a comfort that allows you to move on. And so inside through the window, Mulder sees his mother talking to a woman inside with like some curly brown hair. And she's got her back to Mulder. And Mulder's mom is crying and like wiping away some tears. And Mulder's like, who's mom talking to? And his dad says, your sister. And Mulder looks stunned. And then he finally like goes inside the house. So in the living room, the woman is the one that we actually saw with Dickens in his apartment. She was the one that was driving the van. And both she and Fox's mother stand up. And the woman, who we're not going to call Samantha, says, Fox. Whoa. We go to commercial. Whoa. This is Mulder's whole purpose right here in this Mm -hmm. room. 
Show's Whoa. over. Done. All right, that's it. We're done. So Mulder's dad is smoking when we meet him, kind of like the cigarette smoking man. And there have been a lot of fan theories that the cigarette smoking man is actually Mulder's real father. And I don't know if this is too early for those fan theories, if like this was like a nod to that, or if this just is a coincidence because to Chris Carter, that's what old dudes do. They sit on the porch and smoke. I'm not sure. It Um, seems a little early to be a fan theory already. It does, but I don't remember. There were a lot of active forms back in the day, and like I don't remember when that theory really coalesced in the fandom. I mean, knowing a little bit about the whole like stretch of the saga i don't know a lot but i my first thought when i saw his dad smoking i was like oh i wonder what brand of cigarettes he's smoking right yeah yeah so that was my first thought so yeah and then darren mcgavin who played carl kolchak was offered the role of Mulder's father but he declined so he'll come back to the show later as someone else i think it would have been cool if he was Mulder's dad honestly but yeah i, I don't you don't know. think so I, though <laughs> i don't think i would have liked it no i just no. I, I just be i mean because i'm so like Kolchek, like, yeah. You want him to be more flashy Kolchek, not angry dad. Yeah, I mean, I mean, the whole dad, I mean, like, you know, it'd be like a Christmas story where like Mulder was like Ralphie, basically, is what it would be like. So, yeah, I've never seen a Christmas um, story. So, what? <laughs> they used to play it on TBS like for 24 hours a day. My brother's one, and I would, I refused. I did not. Have oh, any my, no, you need to watch it. I have it's no interest really at good. all. None. It's really that might have to become an X Files adjacent just because the whole Kolchek and like we leaned into like Darren McGavin is going to show up in the X Files eventually. Yeah. The only thing I know is there's a lamp with a lady's leg. Mm-hmm. And a kid gets his tongue stuck on a pole. Yeah. And that's, that's everything I know about it. And you're going to shoot yeah. your eye out. I mean, that's the whole Red Rider BB gun. Yeah, we might have to We might have to watch this. We okay. might have to yeah, watch this. I've never do, seen it. And do a special. Maybe, maybe we'll have a special Christmas episode. <laughs> of, I want Tori to rewatch. watches all these weird movies that for some reason, despite growing up in the 80s and 90s, she has not seen. If you, if you can come up with a connection to the Princess Bride... And the X Files, then maybe we could do that because I've never seen that. I mean, it's just an awesome movie. We mentioned the fact <laughs> that you've never seen The Lost Boys, but I think that's yeah. going to be taken care of um, somewhere else. So maybe, yeah, we're, yeah. we're trying to get that off the ground. So we'll see. Yeah, um, I do have to say that was not the voice I expected to come out of Sam. Like when she hmm. says Fox, that voice did just not match what I had envisioned coming out of that face. Huh. So her voice does, there is a point later too where her voice kind of changes at one point, which is strange. I mean, it's not like she's like morphing into something, not to like spoil anything, but like she says something and like her voice kind of like drops an octave or whatever. And I'm not a sound person, but like her voice kind of deepens a little bit at one point when she's trying to emphasize something. And I think this was that voice. And then later she has a more like, you know, what I expected voice. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a woman. So I expected, a, obviously I expected like a higher pitch kind of thing, not well, like screechy, but you know, that's just, you being sexist. That's me being sexist. <laughs> I will admit. Yes. So no, I can see what you're saying though. Cause it is. Yeah. I don't know. I, well, and you also, you're thinking little she's sister, all, right? Fox. I didn't know it was you. I haven't seen you forever. Oh my God. Well, and she's an adult, <laughs> but you are thinking like, at least I was thinking you think kid sister, even though she's like in her twenties. So well, it's kind of weird. Too, you're like, mm, you kind of have that on your mind. She's very, they, they tend to have a, 
type on the X-Files. She is very similar looking to Scully's sister. Mm -hmm. And so I think I was putting that voice on that face. Oh, gotcha. Okay. And so I think that's why I was like, whoa, that's not the voice I was expecting. (laughs) It's kind of like when you listen to like something and then you finally see what the person looks like. And you're like, like a radio personality or a podcaster. And you're like... Okay, that's not the face that I expected that voice to be coming out of. Oh, totally. Yeah, that happens to me all the time. And then once you get used to their face and their voice being connected, it's like, oh, yeah, no, now I picture that person when I hear them talk. But, like, it does take a while because it can be jarring. I don't know about that because I know I listened to a podcast where there's two hosts and I saw a picture of them, but it didn't say who was who. And so I immediately matched faces to the voices and Ah. it turns out they're flipped and I cannot undo that. I did that when I first started listening to My Favorite Murder, like back in 2016. Like I had flipped who I thought Karen and Georgia were. Now that I know, and I've been listening for the podcast for so much longer, like who they are is really obvious to me. But the first few times I was like, whoa, wait, that's Karen? No, that's Georgia. Like it's weird how that happens. Yeah. You get so... I've been listening to this podcast for years and I have seen their face for at least like two or three years. Oh, wow. And I still cannot. It's just total like... Every time I have to, if I try to visualize them, it's just total cognitive dissonance. I'm like, but no, that's not that face. It's this, (laughs) I cannot, I cannot break it. It's really like just my mind will not let go. That's so funny how that happens. Yeah. Sorry. That was our little podcast about podcasts. Yeah. (laughs) Called I Want to Podcast. (laughs) I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know. (laughs) I think, I think we'll stick with letting me name things. Okay. (laughs) That's fair. So Mulder's upstairs in a bedroom with his mom and she's in the bed and she says after all these sleepless nights, she can hardly keep her eyes open and Mulder fluffs her pillows and tells her to get some sleep. And then she sits up and she's like, it's really her, isn't it? And Mulder's just like, I don't see who else it could be. Yeah, it's very light outside for 535 a.m. in January in Massachusetts. Yeah. Of course, I checked, and I actually checked in 1995. I didn't just go by current time, although that shouldn't really be changing. Civil Sunrise wouldn't be until, like, 640 in 1995. So they're kind of off on that. I also noticed that they still have their wreath up over their mantle. So we are in that time frame. I mean, obviously, we know Prince was killed on January 10th. So Right, so it's supposed to be, like, not too long after Christmas. So downstairs, Mulder heads out to the porch. And he kind of takes a moment and he has a deep breath. And then he sees that Samantha is seated where his dad was sitting last night. So she's sitting there. She's got a blanket. She's just hanging out. And Mulder just kind of looks at her for a minute. And then she asks if it's too late for a game of Stratego. And he breaks into a smile and he says, it's 22 years too late. And she tells him that when she was returned, quote unquote, she had no memory. And she ended up being placed with the family who raised her as their daughter. And Mulder asked who they were. And then Sam doesn't really answer, but she's like, well, I knew they weren't my parents, but I didn't remember mom or dad or you. And then Mulder's like, but you came to remember kind of like, but you obviously know who we are now. Yeah. And she says she was nine when she was returned. So she was abducted when she was eight. Mm-hmm. So she was really gone for like only like a year as far as like 
abduction goes. Although I don't think the they Mulder was asking about was actually like who her adopted parents were. I think he was asking about like who took her because yeah. she's like I was returned. I mean, he kind of rolls with it, but I'm I'm just maybe I'm just reading into it. But I'm thinking like that's not the they he was referring to. Again, pronouns. <sighs> and also so. that would make sense for Mulder because what is he really interested in? I mean, obviously he yeah. wants to know where she's been all these years. Anybody would, but I'm sure yeah. his main question is like who took you and why. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yep. So Sam tells him that she started having trouble a few years ago. It was diagnosed as anxiety, but nothing worked for her. And then she hit rock bottom. And then she tried regression hypnotherapy, which we all know Mulder has done. And it all started coming back. The abductions, the tests. And then she hugs him and she tells him she's in danger. And he asks what she means. And she tells him that he's been contacted. He knows there's a man hunting her father and the other doctors. And he's like, your father? And she tells him that her adoptive parents are only visitors here, what people would call aliens. And a bounty hunter has been sent to kill them. And she also tells Mulder that he's met the bounty hunter. And the bounty hunter isn't going to stop until he's killed them all and anyone who tries to stop him. And he'll come for her soon. Yep, Can't be stopped. Can't be reasoned with. Alien Terminator, basically. Yep. Yeah. So Dickens is her adopted father then, we're assuming? Yep, assuming from what she's okay. saying. I, so if her fa- if her parents, we don't know what the deal with the mother is, but like why would she have to go to regression therapy to find out what, why, why why couldn't they have just told her like when she started having trouble? Be like just tell her. Yeah, I don't know. They know, they obviously know they're aliens. But anyway. Just my thought. Family dynamics, right? Families just don't they don't know how to communicate. She has to go to all this therapy to find out what they could have just told her in the beginning. So we cut to Scully and she is wearing some casual wear, like a little hoodie, some leggings, some socks and tennis shoes. And then she cautiously opens her front door and she goes out. And as soon as the door shuts, her phone rings. Oh, oh worse. And her voicemail picks up and it's Mulder, but she's not there. So he warned her not to trust the CIA agent. He does say the CIA agent. He doesn't say chapel, which is weird, but under any circumstances and to call him as soon as she can. And then he hangs up. So like during the voicemail, we have cut to Mulder mm-hmm. actually talking into the phone and then he hangs up. And then Sam tells him that Gully might not be able to recognize him, meaning the assassin, right? He has the ability to disguise himself. And Mulder asks how, and she's like, he can appear as anyone. And Mulder's like, you got to be kidding me. Like, she's like, no, (laughs) like he can just take anyone's appearance. And so she says that they can't recognize him, but she can. Right. Which I just thought that was so funny because Mulder's like, you've got to be kidding. Like, of course, this alien assassin can also shapeshift. Like, are you kidding me? I thought it was just really great nod to like how ridiculous this whole situation is. Yeah. And when she does a like, like, you can't recognize him, but I can. That's when her voice deepens again. And honestly, so it matches the where she says Fox. So that's where her voice mm-hmm. kind of changed a little bit. But also when she said that, I totally expected her to shapeshift right in front of Mulder. <laughs> and like just turn back into the assassin. Oh, like, you can't recognize him, but I can. And then boom, boom she is like, the assassin. Then, like, grab Mulder and throw him across the room. <laughs> and yeah. Oh, that would have been, that would have been intense. That would have been 
a good scene. So Scully jogs up to a bus stop kind of as the bus pulls up, which is really good timing. And she gets on and then she scans the other bus riders and everyone seems to be doing their own thing. There's no one she recognizes. So she takes a seat and pulls out a cell phone from her fanny pack and she calls Mulder's home line and leaves a message that she'll be staying at the vacation village motor lodge in Germantown. And by the time he reaches her, she should have some very important information regarding their case. And we then see that the alien assassin is sitting a few seats away on the bus. So she doesn't know who he is, but he's right there and he heard her voicemail. Yeah. And he was conveniently hidden by another person when she was scanning people. So that's why she she doesn't know what he looks like anyway, but also we weren't able to see we him. We didn't know. Because yeah, like you so can see there was know. you can see there was someone sitting behind another dude, but we didn't see him, but that's where he was sitting. So so she's arrived at the warehouse again, where she had been previously. And she kind of looks around, and then she kind of heads over to the building. And she pulls out a lock pick and sticks it in the lock and click, click. And the door opens. And inside the lab, it's just totally wrecked, right? So, like, Chapel finished what he was doing. Because when we saw he was knocking over one of them, but now they're all gone. So she goes over to that little fleshy thing that Chapel had stepped on. And it's got, like, a cable or hose or something and a tag attached to it and she picks it up and then inside it's kind of like a sack almost like a like a plastic bag kind of thing almost um kind of translucent so you can't really see through it that well but inside is what looks like an embryo or a fetus inside the sack Mm -hmm. and then it moves and she's like what and she's kind of like oh my god but then she sees that someone is watching her so apparently she just like chucks that poor fetus bye later and the man runs <laughs> and she chases after him and she yells for him to stop with her gun drawn and she identifies herself as a federal agent and she tells him to put his hands against the wall and he's like you won't shoot me and then he says like you cannot harm me and so he's kind of like testing her a little bit and then when he realizes what's going on he like opens the sliding door and then three more identical men come out and so they're all the Gregors, basically. Well, they're not the Gregors, right? They're the alien dudes. And he tells her that they're the last remaining. And unless she protects them, they are already dead. Yeah. So, yeah. One, she just picked that whole thing up with her bare hands, just grabbed it and picked it up yeah. and looked at it. And then also, like, she just, like, when she's the dude, she just, like, choop. Poor little, like it's still alive. Like save the little baby alien fetus, but she just kind of like, nope. (laughs) Sorry, I got other things to do. So clearly, did not put gloves in her fanny pack. No, she should have. She should have. Yeah. So then the men we see are being led away by federal marshals, and Scully orders that these men need to be held in protective custody. No visitors, no press, no one. And the marshal asks who they are, and Scully's like, I'll let you know when I figure that out. And then she watches as the cars pull away. And then we see that the alien assassin is on top of the building, and he's watching them pull away, too. And, like, okay, I have no idea what I would do in Scully's shoes, and I don't think she has a ton of options. But it really doesn't seem like a great plan to, like, have these guys put in protective custody with people, like, she doesn't know instead of maybe finding a safe house or like you point out having them all together is a bad idea in this yeah. first place well, just like, them being together is a bad idea like they made a decision right. to hang out together that's not a good sign when you're being hunted by someone trying to kill you yeah 
Although, I mean, she doesn't know that the man after them can shapeshift and be like appear as anyone. So it might seem safe to her. It just doesn't seem like a great plan. And then again, I'm not sure what else she could do. So I'm kind of like, eh, not a good strategy. But yeah, it just does seem weird that they would cluster together. Like if you're being yeah. hunted, you'd want to separate. Like especially if you're the last four, like why would you hang out together? So like if one of you is found, all of you are found and you guys are all right. Dead. So, yeah, it doesn't not a great this whole I don't know what their whole plan is, but they're not doing a very good job. At no, it. they're not. I do have to give them credit for the twinning or I guess in this case, the quadding in the episode when all the other three come down, and they're all standing there together. They do like if you go back and look at it, they are definitely like totally blocked off so mm-hmm. they could like overlay the footage. Right. But it's pr- in real time. You don't really think about it. And it's pretty good. It's pretty impressive. Yeah, it looks good. So it looks good. So thumbs up on that. Yeah. yeah. So back at his apartment, Mulder has checked his message. I guess he's back in D.C. now. So he's checking his messages. And Sam is there with him, which if we're talking bad plans, I'm not sure that taking your sister with you, hunting for an alien assassin who is trying to kill her is a great idea. No, but but she can tell who he is and Mulder can't. So maybe he needs her. Yeah, but they also apparently can't stop him. Yeah, so, I don't know. Like, oh, I know who you are. Okay, now I'll die. That's cool. So at least yeah. I know who's killing me. So <laughs> he calls the vacation village where Scully said she was going to be staying. But the clerk tells him that there's no one there registered by that name. And so he leaves a message. He's like, okay, well, when she shows up, tell her to call Fox Mulder. And we're assuming he gives him the telephone number. Although I guess she would know his number. She so has it, yeah. So the clerk hangs up. And he starts to make a note and his pencil breaks. And then he's like, wait, who is this message for? And then Scully comes in and asks for a room. Yeah. I mean, so I get like if you're trying to take down a message and then like your pen doesn't work or something and you forget what you were supposed to write down. Like that's that's fair. I've done that. I blank out all the time. Sometimes I've got 10 things going on. Someone calls me, tells me something. And if I can't get it written down immediately, I'm going to totally space. But then the fact that Scully walks in literally as he's trying to remember and probably says, I'm Dana Scully, I'd like a room. And he does not connect those dots just is kind of infuriating. Yeah. Because you think he'd at least ring some bells. Like he'd be like, Scully, you're the, you know, Fox Mulder wants you to call, you know, or something like that. I don't know. I just feel like he should remember, but whatever. It's fine. Yeah. I mean, no, I feel bad. But he doesn't look like the smartest dude on the planet, which is kind of disparaging the actor. But, I mean, that's that's probably what they're trying to go for anyway. So, yeah. So Scully goes into the room, and she heads straight to the bathroom to take a shower. And so, of course, in her little fanny pack on the bed, because it's the 90s, so all her stuff is in a fanny pack, her cell phone rings as soon as she's in the bathroom. So she misses the call doesn't hear it yep it's a comedy of errors or missed phone calls or something yeah also the whole checking into like a motel room it kind of again we've got that terminator vibe going on when they check into the hotel room her kyle reese and everything i've never seen terminator oh my god i've seen parts of it like it's definitely a movie that my brother has rented have you seen terminator 2 no, I've watched part, like, I know I've seen parts of it, but I think it was one of those things where my brothers rented it and I wasn't that into it. So I was probably on AOL, like on the computer, like chatting with my friends, probably about the X-Files instead of watching. So like, I don't, yeah. like, I, I, I have mean, vague memories of parts of it. That's why we're really good hosts, because we definitely have, like, non-crossover action on things that yeah. we're referencing a lot. And so I think that makes it 
interesting. That's why people. Should I mean, listen. I know enough about Terminator to like get the whole like the look and like to get that that's you know very Terminator esque with the alien assassin. But yeah, well, it's, it's similar to me knowing a lot of what happens in the X Files when I only basically watch the first season. Right. So. It's like cultural. It becomes, it? it becomes cultural knowledge. Yeah. Yeah. It's like you just you just know because you've been alive. Yeah. So then we're at the Federal Stockade in Tilson, Virginia, and it's 7.05 p.m. And we see that the Gregors are being kept in separate cells for their own safety, I guess. And a security guard walks past them. And then a man comes in and asks to talk to the prisoners. And, like, I guess he doesn't really ask to talk to the prisoners. He just kind of assumes he's going to. So you assume that it's somebody who, like, works there and would be. Yeah, would already be allowed in. And he asks the guard to go get him a coffee and the man steps in front of one of the cells once the other guy's gone and he pulls out his, I called it a pokey weapon thing. It's actually called a stiletto is the weapon that the alien assassin okay. uses. I mean, I called it a retractable ice pick. It could also double as a witch finder's needle. Yes. But. Yeah, that's, yeah, I know the witch finder reference. I get that. Yay. But yeah, it does. So it is called a stiletto, but he pulls it out. So we realize that this guy, whoever he's disguised as is actually the alien assassin. <sighs> and then someone knocks on the door to Scully's room and it's like, it's Mulder. And so she lets him in and he says he got her message. But then her cell phone rings. So she picks it up. And on the phone, it's Mulder. And he's like, where have you been? Where are you? And the other Mulder steps into the room and shuts the door. And then we get to be continued. So before I go on a little tirade, Tilston, Virginia is the one town in this episode that is not real. Okay, gotcha. So, yeah, I said that everything is real except for one, and it is Tilston, Virginia. So we have less than one minute till the end of the episode, and Chris Carter does his Chris Carter thing and rips me right out of the episode because Scully's in her hotel room, sitting on her bed, and we focus on her clock. And it is 11.21 p.m. And then the oh. door knocks. And I didn't so, even notice. <laughs> like, oh, my God. Like, he did the same thing three episodes ago. Like, I get it. Like, having that kind of thing is th- a thing that writers do. Yes. And it can be done well. This is not doing it well. It's not cute. It's not cool. It's annoying because it just totally rips you out because you're aware of it. Like, there are ways to do it where you just you don't keep using it as the freaking clock you insert 1121 into different points in the episode right like the building could be 1121 or something you know you do it that way you don't just keep using the same stupid clock every time yeah especially because you just did it three episodes ago yeah and they do like show it it's not like you know, or one way to do it, if you want it to be the clock again, and you don't want to do it right after you had just previously done it. But if you want to have it on the clock, then you don't show it like full frame and then pan to Scully on the bed. You like show Scully on the bed and then the door knocks and as she gets up. You happen to see in the background. Like if you like look close, it's like 1121, like, oh, it's 1121. You don't focus on it. You don't, you don't, you don't be so showy about your callbacks and like, things that you do all the time you you hide them so people notice them you don't just like slap them in the face with it but yeah that's what chris carter does because he's chris carter yeah i didn't even notice so it did not bother me at all it bothered me a lot but 
I can tell. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know where you get that idea, but it bothers me. I yeah, no can't tell. Don't know. Yeah. Yeah. So we were kind of talking about whether or not we should rate this episode because it is like half an episode. Like we get the end. It's a flashback, right? Like we get the end. We see that Mulder is clearly sick and found on the ice and we don't, you know, it's half an episode and then we get the to be continued. Whereas like Dwayne Barry is to be continued, but definitely is a more contained, like we've dealt with the story of the hostages and stuff. That's all like cleaned up and then we get a to be continued. But I think we did decide to go ahead and rate this, right? Right. Well, I'm going to. You weren't sure if you wanted to. I mean, I, I think can. It's, I, I think it's rateable it by it itself. Is. I mean, it is. And again, this is a choice that they made. For a two-parter, I probably wouldn't have gone with the use the flashback as an episode part because we don't go back to it all in this episode. Right. So it's really easy to kind of forget about it. Like, it's oh. like, oh, my God, what's happening? And then as the episode progresses, you're kind of like, oh, yeah, that happened. I forgot about that. Like, because it has no bearing on the story that we're watching at this point. Right. Well, we're just so. seeing how he gets there. I do think it's an interesting device. I totally get what you're saying, though, about how, like, because it's in two parts, it is less effective because yeah. we start at the end that we don't get to until you know a week later. And so... yeah. We're already disconnected from that part of the story because we don't even weren't Mulder's in her hotel room. Like what? <laughs> yeah. yeah. And if this was a thing where they had shown like the episodes back to back, like as a like special like X Files TV movie sort of thing, then I could see doing that. But in this one, that part just falls away. Like it has no bearing on the story. So like it kind of loses its import. You're like, oh, this thing is going to happen, and you didn't talk about it at all. Like, oh, I'm guessing you're going to talk about it next week. I don't know. Right. But a week from now, am I going to remember that it opened like that? Well, and the mm -hmm. cliffhanger we're left with is not, is Mulder going to die of hypothermia? It's why is Mulder in two places? We know right. why, but yeah, Scully doesn't. Yeah. So it kind of almost ends in a similar fashion to Dwayne Barry. We're like, uh-oh, Scully yeah. is in trouble. <laughs> Scully's so, in trouble again. She's being Scully's attacked by the again. villain of the week. I'm shocked. I'm shocked. Yeah. But before we well, go to ratings, shocked. let's do a little discussion. Gosh, I have a couple things I want to talk about with the episode that I haven't mentioned. So one, I want to talk about Brian Thompson, who plays the alien assassin. Okay. So I know him from the Sylvester Stallone movie, Cobra, 1986, where he plays the night slasher. He's like the serial killer of the movie. Okay. His first credit actually is that he played a small part in the original Terminator in 1984. And then he was in Cobra. Which is kind of, he's kind of got like a role there, but he's not named. He's just the night slasher. He's the killer. And then he was actually in five episodes of a series, like when Fox first started as a network in 1987, he was in a series called Werewolf and he played Nicholas Remy. Okay. He was in five of 29 episodes. What's interesting about that is that one, it's Fox, right? So he's in the same network, but also the head werewolf in that show was named Yano Scorsenzi oh, as a callback to the Night Stalker. They intentionally okay. did it that way. Yeah. So again, we are getting that that linkage of you know X-Files and Kolchak and what have you. Yeah, that's so, cool. It's weird because in this episode and then also in like, I remember watching that werewolf series when it was on Fox, when Fox first started. I could not tell you anything about it, but I do remember watching it. So, but it's one of those things where, like, I watched it, but it was kind of like, 
relatively forgettable kind of right, yeah. werewolves. I'm no you it's about werewolves. I'm gonna watch it. I'm yeah. I like werewolves. So totally. I'm I'm like I'm I like vampires too, but like as much as you're into vampires, I'm probably the werewolf. Yeah. Of that. So there's just not as much werewolf material out there as there is vampire material. So but when he plays the night slasher in Cobra, that's where I first ever saw him. Because I don't, he has such a small scene in Terminator. I would probably have to go back and watch it to actually pick him out. Right. I imagine he's probably just some rando, like biker dude who gets killed or something. But as you talk about how he kind of has that Schwarzenegger look, because when he clenches his jaw to, to do that, like I'm serious and determined thing, mm-hmm. he's got very prominent cheekbones. Yeah, he does. And then when, and then when he clenches his jaw around his mouth, his face kind of pooches out. So it makes like a cavity between his cheekbones and like his jawline yeah and it gives him a very like surreal like i'm a killer kind of look when he's not doing that he looks really normal you see pictures of him not making that face you're like that's him it's kind of strange he doesn't look like that all the time but that's where i know him from and that's what he's kind of doing in this movie too so like i mean it was like oh my god it's the dude from cobra so (laughs) yeah but i do think this episode was probably what the erlenmeyer flask should have been and actually, it kind of actually incorporates a lot of the ideas that we suggested in our season one redux. I want to rewrite episode. Like when we talked about how like it should have been clones and maybe it would have been alien hybrid clones kind of thing. It kind of brings a lot of that into what we talked about. So I guess we were on the right path. Yeah, it sort of um, coalesces those ideas because we get some of them kind of throughout the series that like maybe they're like, and especially in Erlenmeyer Flask, that there's some alien DNA going on and they're messing mm-hmm. with like humans and the cloning. And so this does kind of bring that all together. So that's kind of cool to see. If you would go back and retcon some stuff, I would say that Dr. Sakar would have been the actor who played the clones in this. And it would have been the same dude. That would have been cool. Yeah. I think and it's then intentionally all... meant to be separate though, because he wasn't meant to be a clone. He was meant to be this guy. Well, I also think it's like they were it's a they didn't have everything like this is the season where they start really making that cohesive alien. This mythology. is we didn't we didn't mention it. This is obviously a, this is a myth arc episode, right? And so is the next part, obviously yeah. myth arc. But we had mentioned before, like their alien mythology was kind of all over the place. And this is the episode where they start to tie that together right. and it's going to carry forth for the rest of the season. So in a way, it's kind of unfortunate that it took them like the middle of the second season to like lock down the like main story of the show. But it was like in season two, they decided to do it. And so the season one stuff kind of is all over the place. So I think that might have been part of it too. Like, like they intended it to be different, but they intended it to be different just because like it was different. They can't go back and change it. Like, Well, I think they intended it because the thing is, and and just thinking about how like this kind of works in other shows too, like once you kind of clench that mythology down, then you're kind of stuck with that mythology. Yeah, I I find it, I, there's some stuff about the next episode that I haven't read yet because I actually haven't watched the next episode yet because I don't want to be spoiled. I don't want to be spoiled and be bringing stuff into this episode Mm -hmm. from the next one. And so I want, and so some of the stuff that when I was looking at stuff for this episode, I actually couldn't read it because they lump the two episodes together and right. just discuss them as a whole. But I did see something about this episode that it's interesting because you say the writers were worried about locking down the mythology, which in my thinking, I'm like, you you would want to have locked it down to begin with, right? You would have had the entire, like if this is what you're basing your series on, you would have locked that down to begin with and not be just like throwing spaghetti at the wall and seeing what stuck. 
but and that's kind of how I felt about the first like I you know go back and listen to the episodes right I complain about how like right this episode is this kind of alien and this episode is this kind of alien this kind of episode is this kind of alien so I like I would have liked for that stuff and I realized they couldn't because they didn't have it locked down which is I mean it's like you don't know what's going to happen you don't know you're going to get a 11 season series coming out of an Mm -hmm. idea right yeah exactly again we talked about it like I in most shows that I watch like I like that there's an overarching plot but I find that I tend to enjoy the monster of the week episodes more because I think sometimes the arc episodes whether they're x-files myth arc or whatever it is like sometimes it can get really tedious when they start going down a path and like that's all they do is like oh well now we're being chased by the alien you know like and that's just constantly all the episodes are about and i can see as a writer being like eh i'm kind of sick of it you know let's explore some more different monsters or whatever so i don't know i mean i can see it both ways i don't think there's anything wrong with like i like the myth arc episodes and actually I have found during this rewatch that the myth arc episodes, I typically rate them higher and enjoy them a lot. So, but I can definitely see as a writer being like, oh, I don't want to get locked into this. And also, can we like, let's talk about like werewolves who live in the sewer or something. Yeah. <laughs> and I think you need, I, I mean, I think you would need to do both no matter yeah. what. Yeah. Right? Oh, absolutely. You, to, you yeah. can't just do all one. You can't no. do, if you do all of the other, then like you said, there's no, I mean, there is a way to do a monster of the week show and have a theme appear yeah or have like an ongoing story with the but characters. you need to but you need to plan that ahead yeah and as we saw with i mean yes chris carter and like morgan and wong and date like we talked about like they have an untold number of producers on every episode basically if you've ever been associated with exiles you're automatically a producer <laughs> and so you have some say in the show but they also have a problem where they were also just like they had so many different writers. Like even if the same core has a hand in the final script, they had so many different writers just drop at episodes that I think that's one reason why, you know, the first season and then the second season too, like things are still kind of like jank, like, you know, times don't match and like, but this happened in this one. And now you're, it seems like that didn't even happen. And it's just kind of one of those things where like, it seems like it should have been locked down sooner, but that's just me. I guess hindsight, right? You want to have, a narrative that is cohesive and doesn't have all these weird randos. Yeah. But. Whereas I like, I kind of like the idea that there's more than one kind of alien and I get why that could be problematic for the show going forward. But I like, <laughs> I like that a lot. So. Like, I mean, talking about cohesive narrative, this is even part of a narrative, but in the Cornetto trilogy, you know, Shaun of the Dead, yes. Hot Fuzz and the World's End. I really think no disregard for the actor who plays him. I really think they need to go in and digi Daniel Craig in as Pete in Shaun of the Dead, because then they have a James Bond as a villain in, in every movie. Because <laughs> like they have, you know. Yeah. Well, you just like continuity a lot. Whereas this, I do. Well, yeah. and that's not even that's not even continuity because they're not even technically they're not even related movies, right? It's just no, the same, but you know, you like the same actors. You like but it's like they have a, in the second one they had you know a James Bond, and in the third one they have a James Bond. It's kind of like. Oh, if we only had a James Bond in the first one, we would have another linkage. So I kind of think, and I think Daniel Craig would fit perfectly as Pete, too. Yeah, I could see so, that. Yeah, you could just, you know, digi his face on that character and there you <laughs> go. Get the face swap app and we're all good. So, but all that said, 
I think maybe we'll go to ratings now, I guess. Okay. Yeah. I, oh, I have trouble rating this one in part because it's like half an episode. <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, I think it's good. I like it. I think Mulder, I mean, the thing is, I think the characters are perfectly in character for this and even the second part. Like, I think it's good. Like you said, like the whole, I uh, see, I'm thinking of the second part already though. Like I'm including that because in in I can't yeah. separate them. So I think they're probably going to end up being rated the same, to be honest, but I think it's oh, probably okay. a seven. Well, like, that does mean that they're at least comparable. Like we had the problem with Dwayne Barry and I think and it's, the, yeah. I mean, I think they it's were the really thing. tonally different. So, and I think like Mulder and Scully both do stupid things, but like there's things that are in character. Like I believe that they would do. I believe Mulder would trust the CIA guy because he wants to trust him. I believe that like, you know, uh, yeah, spoiler. Um, I, I believe the things that they do <laughs> as characters. And I like, I won't even get into the end of Endgame, but I, yeah, I think that it works for them and it works for the series and it does kind of set the series on a path and it says this is a thing that's happened and now we're moving forward. I do have to say, it's kind of ballsy to name your 17th episode Endgame. Yeah. When you're still going to have like eight more episodes in the season. Well, I think it's the Endgame of whatever the aliens are doing because it's their well, colony it's obviously not the end game of the aliens because no but it's like the end game i don't know colony end game honestly the episode titles aren't that great that's <laughs> every time i think of end game i just get mad because i think of the marvel movie and so you know it's not Does that make not, you mad yeah it's not my favorite it's just it's oh, okay. very confusing and has a lot of plot problems that i don't think worked very well but that's another you're not podcast. a fan of time travel we've talked about that i'm not well i'm not a fan of how a they specifically use time yeah. travel um especially at the end and then i'm also just not a fan of some of the other choices that they made which i could go into but i'm not going to because that's not relevant to this what is relevant is i think this is a seven and I, okay. i'm gonna guess my end game rating is probably gonna be about the same Okay. I was going to say that Dwayne Barry and Ascension were very tonally different, but then I went back and looked and I'm like, you gave him the exact same rating. So I did not. Yeah. But, yeah. So we'll see if that carries through. Yeah. I mean, after we discuss it tomorrow, I might change my mind, but we'll see. <laughs> okay. So you gave it a seven. Yes. And I had already put my rating in the spreadsheet, but I made it invisible. And oh, so I did not I'm, see it. I'm going to reveal it. <gasps> an eight an eight nice yes so i'm giving it an eight nice i think it's despite the things that I, i'm like let's face it folks i'm gonna bitch about every episode because that's what i do but that doesn't mean i don't enjoy it so yeah and i mean i get nitpicky too on certain things and like i don't know I do want to shake Mulder a couple times, but that's okay. Like I still. I mean, we're him. doing a rewatch, so like for me, a lot of these are first watches. Mm -hmm. But part of a rewatch thing is you go back and look at like you reevaluate what you your expectations were and what your your remembrances were and that kind of stuff. So mm -hmm. you know, it's not just like otherwise it would be like the X Files plot summary podcast because it would be we'd just be reciting the plot until right. You know so. Oh, I just thought of something that happens in the next episode that might push it up a point. Oh, okay. <laughs> anyway, we won't talk about that yet, but we will be talking about Endgame because obviously that's the next episode. Yeah. And I know careful listeners are like, 
Nick, you gave this an eight. Does that mean you like this more than Dwayne Barry? Does that mean you like this more than Dehan de Verlitz? And no, it doesn't because I went back and changed those ratings. Oh, so, did you? Uh, yeah, I went back and adjusted my Dwayne Barry rating. I also adjusted my irresistible rating. I saw you gave it a zero. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, it's a, it's a, it's part of the scale, right? We don't just have ten values. We have we do values. You know, so. I didn't. You know, now that you've done that, I wonder if I should give it a one. So, and then I also, <laughs> I also bumped Diane Deverlitz up to eight. So okay, this is cool. comparable to eight in my That's book, funny. but it's not. Again, I am trying with with distance because at the moment, again, we know that Dwayne Barry had the Phineas Gage thing, which really upset me. And I went on a whole tirade about it and it affected my, but I need to not let that affect the effectiveness of the episode. And so I bumped Dwayne Barry up to a nine. Whoa. Nice. Making it the highest rated episode of season two for me. Have I rated anything in nine yet? I have not this season. You have not. Huh? No. Huh? So, but I really, I mean, and almost entirely the actor yeah Barry was like it was just so good yeah so so this one i just want to ask like what is your favorite thing about this episode is it just because it coalesces the alien mythology a little better or yeah i think i think that's it i mean i yeah i think that's what it is i mean there are parts of it i could pick apart but i think it just could it bring it starts bringing all things together also i mean you know i'm slightly narcissistic it incorporates a lot of ideas that I said they should have brought into Erlenmeyer's last. <laughs> and so I'm like, oh, now they're doing what I said. So, yes, I love this episode because it's what I thought. See, so <laughs> Chris Carter time traveled and listened to our podcast and then he went back and he no, was. Well, I mean, you know, you can have, I'm just kidding. You can I know. have, you know, two people come up with the same idea. Oh, for sure. So. And looking at the same stuff, like, you know, you were like, this is what they should be doing. And then they decided this is what we should be doing. This is what we should be doing. Yeah. So yeah. someone is realizing what should be going on. So, nice. Well, that's yeah. cool. Yeah. I mean, just, it was well, I mean, for what it was, it was well done. Yeah. Like said, there were there were a couple of things I wouldn't pick at, but for the most part, like it brought everything together. Like there was no like, oh my God, this person doesn't know how to act. There's, I think there's, sadly... I hope it changes. Sadly, I think there's always going to be like, why are they writing Scully this way? Yeah. Um, and I just don't like the writing. It always comes out as me hating Scully. It's really that I just hate the way she's written. And again, I think it's just because we've got a bunch of men writing a woman. And I think that's just it. I don't know yeah. that I would write a woman character well, because I would be putting all my, how I think a woman should behave kind of thing into it. It's, it's hard. Well, some people can do it. Some people can't. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure that, they can well i think the the really i don't pressure point downfall it's not the downfall of the show that's dramatic but like i think one of the hard things about the show is that they need exposition Mulder is the one chasing after aliens and like believing and so they need somebody to sit there and like question him and unfortunately sometimes i mean it falls to scully a lot but sometimes it falls to her in a way that makes her seem like she doesn't know things that she should know or like she's asking really stupid questions and that's just because they need someone to like get Mulder to say the thing but it just it does it is unfortunate that that falls to her a lot which in a way I think is weird because I think going forth and I think even in the beginning if you go back like I went back and rewatched pilot recently 
And I was like, yeah, that's exactly what's going on. The X-Files isn't Mulder's story. It's Scully's story. Yeah, no, I agree I think Scully you. is actually, like, if you had to put, like, who is the main character of the X-Files, it's not Fox Mulder, it's Dana Scully. Yeah. No, and I so it's kind of that. weird that she is written so differently from episode to episode, from scene to scene, in some cases, if she is the main character. So. Yeah, no, I could see that. And it's funny because I think Chris Carter would have said when he was writing this that Mulder was the main character. And I think a lot of people probably who were, you know, hired to work on the show, or write the show, probably wrote it that way. But I think that you're right because we come in because of Scully and we stick uh-huh. around because Scully's there and she really is the one who's watching Mulder do all these things. And Mulder is the one who's like willing to like do just wild things in pursuit of like these goals and she's kind of there to rein him in a little so yeah yeah anyway also in more recent interviews i mean not not to spoil right but we know at some point david Duchovny is going to he's not gonna leave but he's gonna pull back from the episodes jillian anderson actually is in more exiles episodes than david Duchovny is because he pulls back in seasons Mm -hmm. seven and eight but like when he decided to kind of pull back they kept going they built like the X-Files team made like a team right yeah we've talked about that a little bit team show and then when they recently did the revival it was going to be like a six ish a six issue I'm stuck in comic book mode it was going to be a six episode like miniseries and then two years later they brought it back for 10 episodes and then Jillian Anderson said she's like yeah you know I'm done with Dana Scully I'm not going to play Dana Scully anymore and but people were still like oh can we still have the X-Files and Chris Carter was like no, it is a story of Mulder and Scully. And so without Jillian, it's not a story. Right. But yet he was totally content to make an X-Files without Mulder. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So I think he also, whether he came to believe that or that was really in there as well. And maybe it's like, I mean, let's be honest, in the 90s, you're not going to sell a series by making a female the lead character. For the most part, not I mean, super easily. I mean, it yeah. happened. Murphy Brown so, existed, but it yeah. wasn't. But also a different kind of show. Yeah. So, yeah, no, I do, and I also have a overarching theory. I'm going to see if I can, if I can. I've so far I've been able to make it fit my grand conspiracy theory. Oh yeah, you've talked about your conspiracy theory yeah. before. I need to see if it fits as we keep going on. But <laughs> I do have a theory that so far has held true that does make Scully the main character, but also. <laughs> changes everything well so, you know yeah. the cigarette smoking man has a theory that Mulder is the villain and that oh. he is trying to protect the world by keeping these things secret and not letting you know not cause panic by letting all this stuff out and Mulder is the bad guy who's trying to <laughs> blow the lid off and destroy all his hard work yes well my grand conspiracy is that Scully is actually the better Krychek yeah, you mentioned that before, I think. Yeah, yeah. And so far, nothing has happened that has disproved that. <laughs> so, yeah, we'll see. We'll see. Yeah. That'd be cool if that actually was the thing that was like the last episode. I don't think it would be. Happen, yeah, I don't, but... not into my memory, but you never know. My, my memory sucks, as we've learned. Yeah. So, who knows? And I'd say my conspiracy involves that when we first see her in pilot, she is not but she comes to become 
and then eventually becomes like the leader of the conspiracy. Gotcha. Yeah. She works her way up the hierarchy because she's effective. So. Yeah. It's a good theory. I don't share your theory, but I see where you're getting. In it. theory. <laughs> theory. I guess maybe it's more of a hypothesis because I'm going to be testing it with every episode to find the truth. <laughs> Which is still out the there. It's still out there. So next week we'll find out if Mulder survives deep hypothermia in the ice and also if Scully survives being in a room with Mulder who's not Mulder. I mean, we did say that it's eventually become a Scully team book. Book, again, I'm stuck in comic book mode, a Scully team show, and that Mulder is going to, David Coven is going to leave, so maybe he dies. <laughs> next episode. I and think most people are just, aware that probably just doesn't all, happen. It's just but... all Scully for the next eight, <laughs> nine seasons. Probably not. <laughs> I don't think it would have lasted as long. Not that I, no shade, just I love Scully, but yeah, I think the dynamic is part of what holds the show together. So... We'll see. We'll see. Well, Krychek's got to reappear at some point, and then she and Krychek work together. I think he does. I think he must. Yeah, he's got to. Yeah. Yeah, I remember him coming back, and I remember it relating to the myth arc, so. So, so question, back to, before we shut it down, we were getting ready to shut it down, but I have another, I'm just going to keep bringing it back to life, <laughs> reviving the zombie. No! Here. Yes. <laughs> Speaking of zombies, we had talked about last episode that you have trouble telling white dudes apart. I do. And <laughs> you had confused the crew cut man with the alien assassin. Dude. I did. I thought they were the same dude. Do you think they're supposed to be? So I don't know if they're supposed to be the same dude. I'm guessing they're working at least on some level toward the same goal, right? Because his job mm -hmm. was to eliminate the kids who had the alien, like vitamins, quote unquote, or whatever, probably alien DNA. And this alien assassin's job is to eliminate these clones who are at well, least Also his alien. job in Erlenmeyer Flask was to eliminate Dr. Sakar. Right. Which was, you know, someone who had the alien DNA. So uh -huh. they're definitely working towards the same purpose, which is why I had confused them. A lot of, you know, that's a huge part of why I conflated them. Uh, I don't know if they're supposed to be the same. I do know that, like, because this guy is clearly alien in nature and the other guy wasn't because they shot him, right? And he was, he didn't leak up any green. Well, he didn't do anything. That's the thing. We never saw blood when they shot him. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. So that's a good question because I definitely had conflated them in my head. And so to me, they seem like the same characters. They do. The also, <laughs> when he took the role, they wanted him to have a crew cut haircut. And he refused to do that because he thought it would limit his other work. Uh, you mean and the guy so, who plays the alien assassin? Yeah. And so like his hair is kind of slicked back a little bit. But it's not like a crew cut, but they wanted him to get a crew cut haircut for the role. And he was like, no, I'm not doing that. And so, huh. they kinda, you know, they kind of mm. compromised. I think he did cut his hair. I think his hair was longer previously. And so the, he kind of got it cut a little bit and they kind of slicked it back. But they wanted him to get a crew cut for the role. And hmm. he refused. Hmm. Well, maybe I wasn't as wrong as I thought I was in Red Museum. Yeah. But yeah, I yeah I wouldn't be surprised because he does play the same role, pretty much the same. 
And also, who's to say there's not a clone army of them? I mean, right. they're shapeshifters, right? So, what is this really? What 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 really is his true form? Is right. it that human form? Probably not. If no, he's an he's... alien bounty hunter, why would he look like a human? Right. But so. Yeah, I don't know. Well, I'm excited to talk about Endgame, and we'll see how this episode shakes out. Yeah, well, you know how it shakes out. In part two, I do know how it shakes out. Yeah, I don't. I haven't watched it yet. I guess I should probably watch it before we record that episode. That would help a little bit, yeah. Yeah, I could just, like, fanfic the second could part. just, like, you know, read the summary and kind of try and guess. I could, and just add notes and be like, I bet Scully was annoying here, and just put in some snarky <laughs> notes. <laughs> Poor Scully. <laughs> Oh, like, why dear. did she say that? And you're like, oh, she didn't. It was a typo. And I'm like, oh, okay, sorry. <laughs> so, all right, you go watch the episode, and we'll be back next week to talk about Endgame. All righty. I want to rewatch is hosted by Tori and Nick and recorded at Black Cat Studios. Hashtag really just a bedroom closet. Episode production, design, and editing is by Lazian Productions. Our music is Dark Science by David Hillowitz, and the truth is what we make of it by the Agrarians. You can find us at IWantToRewatch.com or wherever podcasts are found. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app. And if you could leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, we would appreciate it so much. And you can always share this podcast with a friend. If they like the X-Files, we'd love to have them join us. Speaking of which, be sure to join us next time as we rewatch Season 2 of The X-Files, Episode 17, Endgame. And try to figure out if, if the, the truth, truth is, is still, still out, out there. there. The truth is what we make of it. week to talk about endgame all righty not the marvel movie we could yeah that would be weird i'd have to watch that it would again. mess with people if they log- welcome to endgame in this episode i don't even remember how the movie starts i had, i really need to watch it again but like i also really don't want to watch it again <laughs> i saw it in theaters and like that and infinity war were so oh, jesus yeah anyway woof woof
Tori does some hot takes on <laughs> Infinity War and Endgame. All right. Anyway, the Falcon and the Winter Soldier is really good. So at least they're trying to deal with some of the fallout. And that show's really awesome. So I haven't seen it. Yeah, it's good. I like it a lot. Because I don't want to pay for Disney Plus. So that's fair. That's fair. I could just give you my password. Like I don't care that much. I don't use it that often. Okay. Well, we'll cut that remember. part out of the episode. I just remember and, what my password uh, is. Yeah, no, I didn't know we were I thought we were done. We already did the, the sign off. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't. I just keep pulling us back in. <laughs> so all right. I would Next never week. share my streaming password with anyone for any service because that is cheating. That is illegal. <laughs> NSA listening. Yeah. Pawn of Disney. So yes. All right. 